Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Um, so far, so good. <laughs> you never really know, though. I mean, the day is young, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I was able to uh, uh, create the show. I was able to log on to the show. I was able to start the show. The, the opening theme came on time, and so far, so good. But this is, as I called it last week, you know, sometimes radio.com. We had a lot of problems last week. Well, actually, I didn't have a lot of problems. The blog talk had a lot of problems. There was no show Monday. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, we had 57 minutes for some reason, uh, and Thursday and Friday were fine. <laughs> so whatever it is, they, they fixed it by then, So and it seems to be working uh, quite well now. So I proceed as if nothing has happened. All right, we've got a ton of news, and so I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, it's like what they, what they call pent-up consumer demand when you haven't been able to spend money for a while. You go crazy and you buy a bunch of things. All right, well, I got the same thing here. I have pent-up, I have pent-up radio demand. And so I wasn't able to do much radio last week, so we're going to make up for it lost time. All right, let's get the big announcements out of the way. First one, tomorrow, our guests are both Naomi Wolf, who is an internationally known, published author, New York Times bestselling author, uh, former liberal, now COVID, you know, truth advocate. Um, and so she's going to be fabulous. Well, we're going to have her back on. I really want to find out, I want to get into liberal psychology with her and see if uh, she knows how, the, how things have changed and also how... Um, the fact that the, the whole COVID, you know, um, COVID shots, the killing off the compliant people, the killing off the very people who would support them, which seems to me a little backwards. I don't think they thought this through necessarily, so I'm curious her opinion on that. But the big news, the really, really, really big news is that Ellen Dershowitz is going to be on. And why that is so significant is because I've been trying to get him on the show for months. Um, I want to uh, basically book him for a future really intense conversation on the Constitution. I want to challenge several things uh, that are, you know, so-called settled law. First of all, um, that um, judicial review where the Supreme Court can overrule um, laws and just cancel them and void them. Uh, they can't do that. Uh, the idea that uh, they, can, they can give themselves power like judicial review, and then they can't do that either. Uh, the idea that they can make law, regulation, and policy, they can't do that either. And so all these things they can't do, they've been doing since Marbury versus Madison, which I believe is about 1803. Anyway, so I'm not going to have time tomorrow to, to have that discussion. But what I really want to do is, is see if I can uh, interest him enough in the show to uh, have that discussion at a future date. So that's my plan. So my plan is to get Alan Dershowitz on. We're going to talk about things we have to talk about, which is how I got him in the first place. His book, um, All About Defending Trump. I want to know why he thinks uh, Trump lost the election. I'm really curious because he's a smart guy. Um, he, he likes voting against Trump, but he also wants to make sure that he's, you know, in the race so he can vote against him. It's a very interesting thing. He's very principled, you know, and he's very liberal. And I want to know why he thinks Joe Biden won, because any, any serious intellectual analysis, uh, any, any thoughtful, uh, objective view that, uh, you know, Brandon has never been popular. He's never done well in the primaries. His policies suck. America hates his policies. How could he possibly beat Donald Trump, one of the most popular presidents in history? That just doesn't make sense. Regardless of what you think of the, the election information, it, it doesn't make sense. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about uh, his book. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Israel. And I want to get his story on Israel and, uh, and Hamas. Now, my contention is that Obama wants Israel destroyed. Oh, gee, Greg, how can you say that? Well, it's pretty easy. 
as I channel Rush Limbaugh. Well, but Rush, but Rush, but Greg, but Greg, you know, he's not a Muslim. Yeah, he is. So Obama, I absolutely am convinced uh, because his father was Muslim. He's Muslim unless he becomes an apostate. I think that's the term, apostate, when you basically uh, – revoke your, your Islam status. What is it when you, when you do that? It's not revoke your citizenship. I keep forgetting that word. Rescind, it's not rescind. It's not revoke. It renounce. There we go. So, so if he renounces uh, being Islam, uh, then they kill him. So he's not going to do that. Um, and so the other thing, you know, I mean, who is the, who's the, the, the Salman Rushdie? You know, got the, the satanic verses. You know, he, he made fun of uh, Muhammad. Apparently you can't do that. So, so there are several, there, there are, I guess, multiple documented cases of those who have left Islam, and then, and then the, the Muslims kill them. We know they throw homosexuals off rooftops. So it's a, it's a very strange religion um, therein. <laughs> anyway, so what, what they would do, now, so Obama's, so Obama's not going to renounce Islam because, you know, bad things might happen to him. Now, I don't wish anything bad happening to him. I just wish he had no power. <laughs> this, this is the problem with Obama. Uh, if he were just a raving you know, Marxist Muslim lunatic who made speeches on soapboxes, he'd be fine. He'd do that all he wants, right? But the fact that he's running the country behind the scenes, that problem. And so, and I was looking, I was thinking about this. And so, so the title of the show today, Brandon Obama wants Israel to surrender to Hamas slash Muslim Brotherhood. Okay, so why would I have that for a title? Because Muslim Brotherhood extension is Hamas. It's all the same thing. It's, it's all the same group. And I'll ask uh, Alan Dershowitz about that, too. But the Muslim Brotherhood were uh, Obama's buddies. You know, that, remember, uh, who was it? Uh, Robert Morsi, I think was his name, the one that took over Egypt after Hosni Mubarak. Uh, dictator, Muslim Brotherhood. So Muslim Brotherhood is, is like hardcore, you know, militant Muslim supremacists, basically. It's probably the best way to describe them. You know, Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. They're, they're, all, they're all, it's all Muslim Brotherhood, right? And they're funded by Iran, which used to be Persia which is not really in the Middle East. It's kind of interesting. Persia is not Middle East. Middle East is like Saudi Arabia, you know, just like that. So what's the Middle East? Middle East would be, you know, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, uh, Saudi Arabia, those countries, right? Turkey uh, is Muslim, but I don't think they're part of the Middle East. I think they're part of Europe. Um, the whole top of Northern Africa, you know, you hear about sub-Saharan Africa. Well, let's talk about Saharan Africa. It's all Muslim. Indonesia is Muslim. You know, Indonesia has hundreds of millions of people, right? So if you take all Indonesia, you take Turkey, you take Iran, you take the entire Middle East, you take the entire top of, of, of Africa, you got hundreds of millions of people who are Muslim. Okay, great. No problem. Well, then leave Israel alone. <laughs> you know, but I don't, I don't think uh, Obama wants to do that. I think Brandon Obama, you know, that, that's the name of the president now, Brandon Obama. You know, so you got some guy sitting in there. You see, get the, so, so, uh, so Brandon is the white face you know, covering up for the, uh, you know, the, 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 the black heart of Obama, if I can phrase it that way. <laughs> Excuse me. But that's what's going on. Oh, I got to take, take a quick uh, mute break here. I'll be, I'll be right back. That's better. I'm getting better with my mute button. At least I don't cancel the show this time because <laughs> you never know. Uh, looks like John's listening. Hey, John, good morning. And hopefully we'll get uh, – uh, Marco in the Netherlands listening pretty soon, too. So that's my contention. And so the reason I say that um, Obama wants Israel destroyed is because everything he's done uh, seems to lead to that. He supported the Muslim Brotherhood. He funded billions upon billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to Iran, and he flew in cash. Now, I was watching a news show, and I forgot who the commentator was, but they said the only people who deal in cash internationally um, are terrorists and drug dealers. Okay, well, that's probably Iran. I think Iran has a certain amount. In fact, I'm not really sure, but I should look into that. So maybe I'll ask Bonnie to do that, or John, since he's on the line right now. How much is Iran involved in the opium trade, uh, which is basically heroin? 
which, you know, turns into your body in morphine. I don't think they're in the fentanyl trade, but I, I think that the uh, Iran, Turkey, all those countries, Afghanistan, uh, there's a huge opium trade uh, coming out of there, just like they had the Golden Triangle uh, in Vietnam, which was Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. And a lot of drug dealers were there. The CIA used to bring drugs into the country to fund their illegal operations in Laos, Cambodia, and whatever else they're doing in Vietnam that might have been actually been authorized. Um, so that's how that works. Anyway, so Obama, dedicated Muslim, you know, I, I don't... Uh, uh, he, he talked about his Muslim heritage to George Stephanopoulos, who uh, had the, the foresight to say, you mean your Christian heritage? Oh, that's right. My Christian heritage, said Obama, you know, trying to cover his tracks. But, you know, uh, those, those throwaway comments would really give you away. So let me see what I have here for evidence. So, so the first thing is, so you look what's going on right now. So Anthony Blinken is over there telling Israel they can't fight back. That'd be like, um, that'd be like England telling uh, the United States that uh, we can't attack Japan after Pearl Harbor. It's, it's, just, it's that kind of thing. Or we can't go after terrorists after 9-11. Well, you can't do that. Those, those people, they need aid. They need comfort. They need, uh, you know, they need to be safe and secure in their homes. You, you know, they're civilians. You can't go after them for you know, blowing up the World Trade Center. That's terrible. It's a terrible thing to do. What are you thinking? That's pretty much what uh, Blinken's doing over there. So Blinken is a stooge of Brandon, who's a stooge of Obama. And the, and the stooge line is long and distinguished. And so he's over there trying to tell Israel they can't fight back. Now, at least you got Bibi Netanyahu there. So, so Netanyahu's great. Now, they had some weaker leader, some, some squishy liberal uh, Israeli prime minister who was more dependent on U.S. aid than saving his own country. might be different, just as, uh, you know, Brandon is more dependent on, on Chinese money than he, than he cares about the United States. I mean, he'll sacrifice his whole country if he can make money from China. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Anyway, so again, the title of the show, Brandon Obama wants Israel to surrender to Hamas Muslim Brotherhood. Slash Muslim Brotherhood. Because Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood gave birth to Hamas. And like I say, all these groups are linked. And they all get money from Iran, which we gave them. Uh, well, we didn't. Obama gave them. So look at Obama, look what Obama's done. Okay? So he completely supported the Muslim Brotherhood after the Arab Spring. You know, helped put Robert Morsi in charge of Egypt. Uh, he was running guns uh, through Hillary Clinton, through Benghazi to attack um, Assad. That's what, that's what helped build up ISIS. So these, these people are gun runners from way back. They just don't want Americans to have guns, but they want everybody else to have guns with our tax dollars. Okay? Now, if they were smart, uh, what, uh, what they would do, what Trump would do as soon as he gets in, uh, is give about 3 million AR-15s to uh, Taiwan and teach the citizens how to use it. So even if China wants to take over, they're not going to be there long. You know, it's, it's hard to occupy a country of 6 million when 3 million people have you know, uh, AR-15s. That, that does tend to be a little bit... Uh, uh, discriminatory, and then well, not discriminatory, but it makes it a little tougher. And then, of course, you know, once they, uh, you know, are attacking their their Chinese attackers from the mainland, they can take their weapons too. And that's that's how guerrilla wars are usually won. You know, you have your private weapons, and then you steal the weapons of the invading army, and then you use their own weapons against them. It, it, this is pretty standard stuff, standard guerrilla warfare 101. So, the evidence against Obama: one, he's Muslim. His father is Muslim from Kenya. He's Muslim too, unless he renounces it, which he's never done. That's, so he's got sympathies to the Muslim world, all right? So we know that. We know that he sympathized with the Muslim Brotherhood because he supported Robert Morsi in Egypt, uh, the Arab Spring, and he had Muslim Brotherhood members at the White House all the time. So he's a dedicated Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood, you know, terrorist supporter, and uh, probably hates Jews, okay? And I think that's pretty safe to say because he has uh, sabotaged uh, at every opportunity Bibi Netanyahu's re-elections in, in Israel. And so you look behind the scenes, when you look it up, look it up online, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, Obama gives, you know, $300 million to opposition or whatever it was. So he's funding the opposition to Netanyahu. So we know he's Israel. So he'll fund anybody, the little, you know, these weak, squishy liberals that will give Israel away. 
Okay, so land for peace just means you know more land, uh, you know another peace and more land. I mean that's what it means. And the whole purpose of land for peace is to make Israel as small as possible so it goes away. You know from the river to the sea. Uh, that's that's the philosophy, right? Anyway, so so we've got we've got evidence. We've got Muslim Brotherhood. We've got uh, uh, Israel. Uh, we've got Netanyahu's elections. We also have Afghanistan. It is no accident that Brandon Obama surrendered in Afghanistan and left behind $85 billion for the weapons. So the whole point of the surrender was to leave the weapons behind. People don't get it. This was, this was Obama's gift to the Muslim world, to Pakistan, to Afghanistan, to Iran, to all these different to Hamas, all the terrorist countries, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, all these people. That was a gift. That was Obama's gift of American taxpayers' money, the best military weapons on the planet, you know, Obama's gift to the terrorist world, was 85 billion of our weapons. That is pure evidence right there that he favors the, the Muslim world over the Christian and the Jewish world. It's just, it's just that simple. I mean, that surrender was intentional. He gave away Bagram, you know, the airport, the massive airport. Trump talks about this all the time. Uh, he gave away Afghanistan after 20 years of war. So making me wonder, you know, how those people feel who, you know, whose fam- how those families feel, all those soldiers who died there, and how those soldiers who were crippled and left their arms and legs behind there only to have Obama surrender and give all their weapons to uh, their enemies, the Taliban and everybody else. That's got to hurt. You know, that's not talked about enough. I, I'm sure it's contributing to a lot of uh, veteran suicides, I would guess. Okay. Anyway, so all that's happening, too. Let me see if we've got some comments. Uh, yeah, so we've got John says, good morning. Good morning, John. Uh, so he's got a little comment here on uh, live chat, which I have to read because you folks that listen to podcasts don't get live chat. All right. So what's the other thing going on? So, so, so the record is, let me just go over the record as I build it up here. Um, Obama's a Muslim from his father. Uh, he supports the Muslim Brotherhood. He sabotaged Bibi Netanyahu's elections in Israel. He gave $85 billion of our weapons to, uh, to the terrorist Muslim world. Uh, and let me see what else he's got. Uh, and now the latest, uh, he gives Iran uh, billions of dollars in nuclear. He gave Iran nuclear weapons, basically. He made it possible for them to develop them. Okay, Idiot. <laughs> but that's what he wants. Because he wants Iran to destroy Israel. Because he hates Israel. Now, no, nobody's really coming out and saying this. But this is what's going on. So Anthony Blinken, the idiot Secretary of State who works for an idiot, you know, occupant of the White House, who who uh, both answer to Barack Obama, obviously, uh, are there telling Bibi Netanyahu he can't uh, he can't invade Gaza, he can't go in, he can't he can't hurt anybody. You know, it's the first time. It's like it's this, it's this double uh, double meaning double speak. It's like a Orwellian double speak. You have the right to defend yourself, just don't defend yourself. <laughs> you know, you have the right to. Uh, you know, to repel your attackers, but uh, don't don't uh, don't hurt them. You know, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever, ever seen. It's right out of Orwell. Okay, so and it was fascinating. It's it's like uh, I wrote a couple of things down here. Oh yeah. So how come how come the rest of the world uh, isn't asking Hamas to uh, I don't know. I mean, the minimum not just apologize. That would that'd be kind of too too uh, weak. How come we're not asking for reparations? I put this in Facebook a couple of weeks ago. No one's really said anything. I said, still waiting for the first nation to demand Hamas renounce terrorism and pay reparations to Israel. Why does Israel, the victim, uh, have to cease firing back? And that's what it is. So in other words, they want the victim. They'd be like telling a rape victim, no, don't press charges. Don't press charges. That would be unfair to the rapist. Okay, so don't do that. That's exactly what's happening in Israel right now. And so this is disgusting. I mean, it really is. 
And so all these things are going, there's my case. I'm making my case that Obama wants to destroy Israel because everything he's done for the last 20 years, including fundamentally transforming our nation into a Muslim nation, um, is all about destroying the United States, destroying Israel, destroying the Judeo-Christian way of life, destroying individual freedom, putting us under a Marxist Muslim dictatorship. That's his goal. And he's, he's being very successful at it because the Geldings let him, the Gelding GOP let him, all these different groups let him, and they don't out him. They don't say, hey, here's the guy running the show. The, the closest thing I saw, and this is really good, I was watching uh, some of the walkaway campaign. And this is with Brandon Strzok. I think it's spelled Strzokka, but he pronounces it Strzok. So Brandon Strzok, uh, who was the first uh, to walk away uh, from the Democrat Party and start this whole walkaway movement. See, nobody ever walks away from you know, if they walk away from the Republican Party, it's because they're disgusted. You know, they walk away from the Democrat Party, it's because they're a bunch of, you know, tentacle Marxists. This is a very different thing. Anyway, Rudy Giuliani got up for the first time and said, Obama's in charge. And what he really said, and this is why I'd love to get Rudy Giuliani on the show. Uh, fortunately, I, I recently acquired some content information from, uh, from one of our, our wonderful sources out there. So I'm going to talk to his people, sitting at Rudy on the show. But what he said was that, uh, that uh, Brandon's responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths, both in this country you know, with, with the, the mandates and everything else he did, um, with all the, all the, the, you know, not just the, the COVID shot, but uh, the, the suicides, the, uh, uh, the depression, the, uh, the, the, all the people that died in isolation and, and uh, uh, everything that happened in the hospitals and everything else that's going on with COVID and, uh, and, of course, all the Ukrainians that died, too. You know, so you got a million. So, so Brandon has killed a million U.S. people, more than likely. Well, Trump had a hand in it, too. He's, he's not a, out of guilt. He never, never should have pushed that vaccine thing at all. He should have realized that early treatments work. You don't need a vaccine. This was curable for minimum cost and not borrowed any money. That's what he should have done. That's what we told him to do. It's not like he didn't, uh, you know, of course, but we were so suppressed. I don't, I don't, you know, Trump doesn't listen to action radio yet, but he will wait. Anyway, so Rudy Giuliani says, uh, look how many people, go back and listen to that speech from Walkaway. Giuliani says, look how many people Brandon's killed. Hundreds of thousands of people he's killed. You know, one way or another, he's killed our industry. He sent all our jobs to China. He's, he's brought in fentanyl. Um, he, he literally is an illegal person in the White House. I mean, Julian is saying all this stuff point blank. It's really a great speech. And so it, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty fascinating what's, what's happening there. And, of course, who's behind, uh, uh, you know, Brandon? It's Obama. That's why I call the president Brandon Obama. All right. A couple of other things in the news. And I'm going to get some. I'll take a little break here and then I'll get to some articles because there are many things. Oh, let me get back to my announcements. So the first thing is uh, tomorrow's special guests, Naomi Wolf and Alan Dershowitz. It's going to be a very big day. Uh, unfortunately, I only have half an hour with them. But again, Naomi Wolf, I want to talk to her about why liberals are so compliant with, uh, you know, big government policy and, and they're the ones being killed by the COVID shots. And Alan Dershowitz, uh, I wanted to tell him about our, our citizen legislation, um, our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. I want to see if, uh, if I can send that to him, if he would consider endorsing it. And the big thing is, is to have a serious questioning uh, and reevaluation of, of everything from Marbury versus Madison uh, through Article Three of the Constitution to the present-day Supreme Court. Are they doing anything constitutional? And I want to ask them the questions and see what happens. Anyway, uh, a couple other announcements here. Creek Fest. So the Santa Rosa Creek Band, formerly known as the Santa Rosa Creek Tribe, the tribe that made me a member, uh, which is a huge honor uh, for putting the Creek Tribe on the air back when I was at WBY. Um, they're having their Creek Fest. They had a couple of years of delay with COVID, which is too bad. I wish they'd just kept going uh, and through it because COVID was, was nothing like they said it was. Um, but uh, they decided not to, and I guess it was trouble getting guests or who knows what. Anyway, so it's on the, the, the Creek Tribal Grounds here in uh, Milton, Florida. You can look it up. So Creek Fest from the Santa Rosa Creek Band, that's uh, this weekend. 
Saturday and Sunday from 9 to 6. I'll be there Saturday. And so I'll be probably doing Facebook Live videos, and I'll be doing a bunch of stuff because uh, that's my tribe now. So I have a tribe. <laughs> I never, I have a chief. <laughs> I never thought I'd have a tribe and a chief. I just, that is not what I thought of as my life was going to progress. But life is strange. Oh, also on a, on a personal note, I'm making some guitar videos now too. I'm having trouble uploading the uh, uh, the last one, but I've decided to uh, you know share what I know about improvising because I'm kind of getting the hang of it now. And so guitar improv, so getting away from your YouTube's, getting away from playing, you know, everybody else's part all the time. Uh, you know, playing instead of repeating, you know, what uh, famous musicians do in that one YouTube, uh, how to create your own leads. So that's what's coming up. All right. So um, we shall see. We shall see where to go. I've got several articles here, and we've got. I got the rest of this hour, and then I've got um, Jonathan at uh, the top of the hour, and then Dorothy after that. So we're going to talk politics and law with Jonathan, then we'll talk sex and uh, relationships with uh, with Dorothy. Uh, John has uh, big coming here. Everything done to Israel is justified because they committed the original sin of occupying the land. So in their minds, anything that they do to retake it from them is fully justified. And he's talking about the Arabs. Same as our conversation last week about the left's belief about America. To them, white men colonized America, original sin, and everything since has been tainted by that. Israel and white American men uh, are owed nothing and owe everything. Uh, yeah, that's, that's reverse. Okay, who brought, who brought freedom to the world? White, European, British men. <laughs> okay, let's, let's be really clear here. You know, and there's some other folks too. I'm not sure where Adam Locke and uh, and some of those other the no, John Locke, Adam Smith, uh, Hobbes, some of the other original writers. Von Mises, I think, was Austrian, um, but uh, and, and Germany's produced Karl Marx. So you've got uh, you got the, the people, the, basically Western European men, you know, brought freedom to the world starting way back Magna Carta a thousand years ago. All right, and it just it just went from there. That government is not supreme. That God is supreme over government. That our rights come from God. That government is limited. That's what a republic is. That uh, you know there are rules for the accused. That we have natural rights. The natural rights are you know the right to uh, keep and bear arms, the right to defend ourselves, things like that. And the Constitution says the government tells the government they can't touch it. Okay, that is the essence of white supremacy according to the left. It's not white people being supreme. It's the supremacy of the thought that the individual matters, that the individual is preeminent, that individual, family, country, God is how it works. Government is way down. Government is a servant, and a particularly nasty one uh, uh, at best, and dangerous when they have too much power. So when, they, when Peter Pry explained this to me. So that the real supremacy, when you hear white supremacy, what you're hearing is the supremacy of the individual, of the republic, of, of natural rights that, uh, that are given to us by God. That's the supremacy they're talking about as supreme over their philosophy of communism, collectivism, no property, eating bugs, you know, this, uh, you know, not being able to travel, the blaming, you know, carbon, you know, all this other kind of nonsense and uh, imprisoning you and taking away your, your property, your food, your right to travel, your right to decide where to live. You know, what jobs you do, what, uh, what possessions you can have. You know, there's even an amendment um, out there. there. There's finally an amendment to this, but there's a, there's a bill out there to put a kill switch in your car so the government can shut your car off whenever they feel like it. That's insane, which means I need, I need like a 1965 Oldsmobile Cutlass or something like that. I want to get a car that has no computers on it, uh, and it's, those, are going to be, those are going to come in high demand. So, uh, or what we really need is a car company to design a computer-free – I'm going to put that down here – computer-free car. I wonder if we get a grant for that. Wouldn't that be interesting? I'll talk to Gates about that. So Gates grant for a computer-free car. So you need to get, we need to get uh, the government out of the car biz. 
Now, if they want to have certain safety requirements, hey, listen, seatbelts are a great idea. Okay, don't get me wrong. I love seatbelts. Seatbelts, I wear them all the time. I wore them when I was five years old before you had to wear them because I was smart. (laughs) It was smarter than my parents that didn't. Grant for a computer, a computer. This would be 186 on my bill idea. I got a file. I got 185 bill ideas on a file, right? Computer free. So why do I want a computer free car? Because I don't want uh, all the problems. And I don't want the government to be able to hack into it and uh, and destroy it. So there we go. Computer free car. So that's what we got. So that's what that's what that's the essence of white supremacy is that white people came up with freedom. Okay? Didn't come from Africa, didn't come from Asia, didn't come from the Americas, north or south. You know, didn't come from indigenous peoples, didn't come from anywhere. It came from white people. So all you people that criticize white men, you know, why don't you thank us for our freedom? And who's promoting freedom now? White men. Trump. Action radio. You know, you don't see Obama promoting freedom. You know, you don't see the Democrats in Congress, especially the minority members. They're not promoting freedom. They're they're promoting, you know, communism. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it listen. <laughs> and so all, the, all this, uh, you know, um, so here's one white guy who's rebelling, me. So I'm, re- I'm rebelling against the current paradigm that uh, white men are evil because, you know, try living life without us, okay? Who do you think does a lot of the work in this society? White guys. Who do you think is in the, the manholes and up the telephone wires? And uh, who do you think does a lot of the buildings? And who do you think are the, the doctors and the lawyers and the, the scientists and all that other kind of stuff? Who invented the airplane? A white guy. <laughs> who invented the computer? A couple of white guys. <laughs> Good luck living without us. It's not going to work. It's just not. Anyway, on that note, let me, uh, let me see if I can find my... Uh, uh, what is it now? 725? Uh, back in a little bit. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. 
So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. All right, just a reminder, too, we have Citizen Legislation Day coming up January 7th. I am still looking for some contributions. Um, and so uh, if you want to go to, we mentioned uh, uh, the Give, Send, Go, but we also have PayPal.me um, slash Action Radio and Venmo.com slash Action Radio. And so both of those will help out. And so if you can help us with that, this is the world's first Citizen Legislation Day. This has never happened before, so be a part of history. Help us out. And um, I think it's uh, contributions of $100 or more get you on the sponsor list. And so uh, some people have been really generous. They're helping us out, trying to keep the cost down as much as possible. Uh, that's how that works out. But uh, uh, we are looking for just a few more, uh, and we're done. You know, we're, we're most of the way there. And so this is really good, but I do need, I do need a little bit more to, to pull this off. Uh, we've got uh, full social media coverage. It's going to be gavel to gavel. Uh, with our friend Larry Downs Jr. Uh, in Pensacola, citizen advocate well-known to the people of Northwest Florida. Uh, maybe not so much around the world yet, but we'll, we'll work on that, it's, uh, especially with that. Um, contact the C-SPAN, waiting to hear back from them, and I'll be talking with the uh, BBC this week. Hopefully, they get some international coverage in Europe for our European listeners. So we'll see uh, that as well. Uh, and other stuff going on, again, our two guests tomorrow, Naomi Wolf and uh, Ellen Dershowitz. Can't wait, especially Dershowitz. I've never talked to him. This is going to be fun. And I... I don't know if he's been challenged 
uh, with some of the questions that I, I want to ask him. But I'm curious, and I'll be respectful. You know, this isn't an ambush. This isn't a gotcha. This isn't a, like a debate that somebody's going to win. You know, this is for the country. Uh, this is to get things out in the open that have not been discussed that I've ever heard. You know, especially when I was watching the confirmation hearings and uh, Amy Coney Barrett and, uh, and uh, frat boy Kavanaugh, uh, even Gorsuch, but I don't remember his as well. They all talked about Marbury versus Madison. That's settled law. And they all talked about Supreme Court, you know, justices, even though the Constitution says judges. And uh, they're all there for lifetime appointments. And they, they're openly saying this, right? These people in the Supreme Court, who I, you know, judges who I know have read the Constitution. I know they've read it. I know they know it says good behavior, but they're willing to perpetuate the myth of lifetime appointments. That, to me, is a travesty. That, to me, is grounds for, for you know, not being confirmed. If you know that the Constitution says you're only there for terms of good behavior, and you keep saying lifetime appointment, perpetrating the propaganda, or saying that you can interpret the Constitution when no such interpretations clause exists. If you can keep saying that, to me, that's grounds for, for, uh, for uh, not putting you on the Supreme Court, because you're lying. And if you're going to lie about that, you're going to lie about anything. So why would I put somebody on the court that, that uh, can't even admit the truth, that they're only there for, for good behavior? All right? It's like being in prison, being out for behavior. <laughs> that's another story. All right, so I was looking around, and this is hard to find. I was looking around for a decent article that really explains what's going on um, in, in the Middle East in terms of uh, not being a puff piece, not saying that uh, you know, Hamas are wonderful people for, for a sneak attack, killing a whole bunch of Israeli you know, babies, basically, uh, and, and young folks and kids and, uh, and everybody that they came in contact with, um, and saying that Israel has to not retaliate, that Israel has to give up, that Israel has to, uh, it's almost like Israel has to give up land for being attacked. That's how bad this is, right? And so Blinken, uh, I told you the story in the first half hour, Blinken's over there making sure that Israel destroys itself. <laughs> That's his job, all right? And he's doing that at the behest of, of Obama, uh, or as I call it, the, the Brandon Obama insurrection. So I found an article by Josh Hammer, November 13th, so that would be today. Oh, this must be a pretty fresh article. Maybe, 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 maybe this is breaking news. Oh, boy. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's today. So Josh Hammer in American Greatness. And, again, I have uh, I've built a, a rather large file of news sources that nobody else quotes from, which is kind of interesting. So as is the, usually the case when I do uh, an article, I can't read the, the live chat comments. So I'll have to get back to those. So here's what he says. And this, this makes perfect sense. And uh, probably because it makes perfect sense because I agree with him. So Josh Hammer in American Greatness, November 13th uh, today, says, as Israel continues its systematic assault on Hamas deep inside Gaza, uh, closing in on high-ranking targets and putting the jihadist outfit's sprawling subterranean tunnel network squarely in its crosshairs, uh, the conversation has already begun to shift away from the warfare on the ground. That's interesting. So it's it's actually the warfare underground. (laughs) Here's what's going on. Uh, Remember, we still have hostages over there. Why is that? Why is it we still have hostages? You know, Barack Obama. Why do we still have Because he wants hostages there. He, he, want, he doesn't care. That's leverage for him to help destroy Israel. Well, they've got hostages. We, we can't be too tough over there. You know, they might hurt our hostages. Jeez. Anyway. So then he says, conversation is being shifted away from... Okay. He says, true. Much painful fighting likely remains. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. He says, true as well. No one can predict the extent to which Hezbollah, they're, they're up north in Golan... Or the, or the Iranian regime itself might escalate, uh, thereby risking a full-fledged regional conflagration. Yeah, war. <laughs> Put in simple terms. So we don't want a bigger war. It's, it's, it's just that simple. Now, you know my philosophy, right? My, my solution to this is very simple. That Israel reincorporates, and he says it too, which is interesting. Re- Israel reincorporates Gaza, 
which they never should have given up in 2005. They were idiots. Uh, Judea and Samaria, which is customarily known as the West Bank. Uh, and Golan, which is the northern uh, area with Syria, where when Israel has it, uh, they can, they can uh, stop the rockets from raining down on Israel. But when Syria has it, they rain down rockets on Israel from the Golan Heights. So that's why Israel needs the Golan back. Now, this was all part of Israel at one point. Stupidly, they gave it up. Why they would think that? Uh, why, why would you think that giving up land to your enemies is going to is going to you know make them? Oh, gee, they gave us land. Let's stop fighting. That's, that's irrational. They're going to fight even more. Hey, look, they gave us what? They, you know, look, Israel gave us land. <laughs> we have a good Muhammad. Look at this. Ah, Ahmed. <laughs> this is great. We've got more land from Israel. Let's go see what we can. I mean, that's how bad it is, right? So the more land they get, the more land they want until there is no Israeli land. And that's the whole point. The whole point is to destroy Israel. And Obama's helping. With our tax dollars. Why, again, the list I went through in the first half hour. Then, then Josh Hammer says, but the war will at some point end. And a gap has already emerged between the positions of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President... Oh, I'm sorry, I can't say that. I misspoke. Insurrectionist Brandon Obama, when it comes to what happens in the Gaza the day after Israel deems that the cancerous Hamas tumor has been sufficiently eradicated. So I don't think you can. I think Israel has to reincorporate Gaza. That's the only way to make that place safe. Because if you leave any kind of uh, so-called Palestinian Ottoman refugee presence in, uh, in Gaza, they're just, just going to keep attacking Israel. Why would you do that? The, 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 they'd be like uh, turning over, I don't know, Minneapolis to uh, Somali Muslims. That'd be stupid. Why would anybody do that? <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> then he says, on one hand, Netanyahu avowed that Israel, quote, will for an indefinite period have security responsibility in Gaza after the war. Okay, so let, let's translate that into English. Will for an indefinite period have security responsibility. In other words, they're going to they're going to they're going to control Gaza. All right. Now, if Israel is going to control Gaza, why don't they just take it back? I mean, just make it simple. Take it back. It was theirs to begin with. Uh, Israel, as far as I'm concerned, is as far as a whole lot of other people are concerned, too, is Gaza, Golan, and uh, Judea and Samaria. That's Israel, okay? So, so the way this is divided up, so the Jordan River divides Jordan, the East Bank, with Israel, the West Bank. <laughs> Gee, that's how it works. So, so why, would, why would Israel give up their territory in the West Bank to people that are trying to kill them? That's just stupid, all right? Now, Israel's not entirely stupid, but they've got a lot of world pressure against them, and they have a lot of stupid people within Israel who want to do that. It's not going to work. Because the minute uh, there's a Palestinian state in, uh, in the West Bank, that's what they're going to want. They're going to want the rest of Israel, too. Anybody who knows anything about uh, power knows that that's exactly what will happen. There won't be in Israel, which is the whole point. So the two-state solution is a no-state solution. In other words, two-state solution destroys Israel. So then you have a one-state solution. So either way, you're going to get a one-state solution. Either Israel is going to be the state or, or uh, uh, Ottoman Palestine is going to be the state. Because the, the, the occupiers, the, the Gazans, you know, the Hamas only wants one solution, no Israel, right? Anyway, so it says uh, resident uh, Biden, when it comes to what happens in Gaza the day after Israel. Okay, there we go. Uh, I'm sort of, here we go. On the one hand, Netanyahu vowed Israel will for an indefinite period, okay, have security responsibility. Then it says, on the other hand, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, speaking on behalf of a deeply unpopular president, well, I, I would say, you know, a, an illegal Brandon, uh, who faces a difficult re-election, excuse me, election next year, has endured declining Muslim-American support over the past month, stated that it is clear that Israel cannot occupy Gaza after the war. Um, no, just the opposite. It is clear that Israel has to occupy and reclaim Gaza 
after the war. Otherwise, Gaza is going to have tunnels and, and terrorist bombs and missiles firing into Israel. If they leave, if they don't clear out Gaza, it's just going to be a terrorist base. It's just, it's so plainly obvious. Not, you know, Bibi Netanyahu knows that. He knows that clearer than anybody. Why do you think he's doing what he's doing? So this was the pretense. So this is why that, remember that article on the stand down order? Did Israel let this attack happen so they could go into, they had the pretense to go into Gaza and clean it out and reclaim it? That's a really good question. I I wouldn't be surprised. It's cynical, but uh, in the world of, uh, you know, of of geopolitics, it's certainly uh, very much uh, a possibility. Then it says the the dependent insurrection specific, that's my words, specific position on Gaza after the war is downstream of its broader obstinance when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Of course, there are no Palestinians. We know that, right? They're just Ottoman Turk refugees. Right. This is in a speech in Tel Aviv on November 3rd. That would be 10 days ago. Blinken reiterated the the, the Biden insurrection's continued support for the so-called, quote, two-state solution to the conflict. Two states for two peoples. Two girls for every boy. Dun, dun, dun. Wasn't that uh, Jan and Dean? <laughs> anyway, or Beach Boys. I, I, think, I think they both covered it. So, so, so that's it. So two states for two peoples. Okay. Well, first of all, <laughs> there aren't two peoples. There's, <laughs> there's Jews and there's Ottoman refugees. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's what you got, all right? And most of the Ottoman refugees went to Jordan and Egypt where the rest of them need to go to and out of Israel. Just that simple. Right? So the world is very simple when you, when you, when you get your, your, your prejudices and your guilt out of the way. People either have prejudice or guilt. You get rid of your prejudice, you can see clearly. You get rid of your guilt, you can see clearly. As long as you have prejudice and guilt, you can't see clearly. Most people have one or the other. Some have both. All right. And this is, uh, so it says two states for two peoples. Blinken intoned. Well, that's a nice word. Presumably based as it was for the Obama administration. Obama actually had administration. He was duly elected. Okay. Even though he was, ter- he was a terrible president. And I still don't think he was a citizen because of uh, the ruling of his birth certificate being a fraud by uh, my friend, Joe Arpaio. Well, not my friend, but he was on the show and he said on the show quite clearly back to WBY that Obama's birth certificate's a fraud. Okay. So chances are he was never a legal uh, citizen, let alone president. All right. Well, but that's not, well, that's for another day. Anyway, it's presumably based as it was for the Obama, you know, uh, I don't know. What should we call it? Regime? That sounds better. Before it, on the absurd 1967 borders. Let me read it so it's more clear. Two states for two peoples, Biden intoned, presumably based as it was for the Obama coup before it, on the absurd 1967 borders, which would pinch the Jewish state to nine miles wide at its narrowest point, which, and which former Israeli Deputy Foreign Minister Zev Elkin once lambasted as Auschwitz borders. Yeah. That's, that's pretty strong language. Nine miles wide. Nine miles. You know what nine miles is? At 60 miles an hour? What is that? Uh, 60 miles an hour, nine miles. Uh, how many minutes is that? So if Israel is, is nine miles wide, there, let me just take a quick little calculation here. So, it's, uh, so 60 miles an hour divided by nine miles, you could cross Israel in six minutes. Six minutes wide by car. Six minutes. Does that make sense to you? No, I don't think so. So that's why Israel needs to go back to real borders. 1967 borders don't count. That's probably the 1967 war. I'd like to know what the borders were after it. Anyway, says the, so then he says the Biden, my word, insurrection, in other words, is of the opinion that Hamas, that the Hamas Holocaust, as he calls it, of October 7th, was not a paradigm-shifting geopolitical event. In other words, it didn't mean anything to them. 
Biden, Blinken, and the rest of the Democratic foreign policy establishment, that would be Republicans too, are of the belief that the single biggest slaughter of Jews since Hitler was not a game changer. The sort of event that causes one to revise underlying assumptions and reassess the situation from the ground up. They believe, okay, this is, this is uh, Brandon Obama and, and the rest of the neocon Democrat you know, uh, toadies out there, they believe that nothing fundamentally has actually changed. After Israel is satisfied with its work in Gaza, it will get right back to more conciliation and territorial concessions. In other words, Israel will go, will go back to giving up land. Once they've had their, their fun in Gaza, you know, once they get over the little tantrum, okay, then they're going to go home and, they're gonna, and we'll be back to business as usual, you know, giving away land until there is no land left. That's what they want, okay? Obama hates Israel. He wants Israel destroyed. Everything they're doing indicates it. You know, the, the, the idea that uh, this, this so-called two-state solution nonsense. First of all, there's only one, there's one nation, Israel. Palestinians are refugees from Ottoman Turkey after World War I and need to go where the rest of the refugees from World War I went. You know, Egypt, uh, Jordan, and some other countries. This is a very simple solution, but they don't see that because they don't want it. See, they don't want to tell you that. They don't want to tell you they don't want Israel to exist because that would be unpopular. All right. They they want they they need a pretense. They say, well, Israel uh, can't go um, attack uh, you know Gaza and they can't occupy it and they've got to keep the humanitarian aid flowing in and they certainly can't stay there. Oh no, can't have that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you can. So then it says here, it is more plausible that the tooth fairy exists than the quote two state solution as presently conceived ever becomes reality. Indeed, the original proposed two state solution. Okay, this is where it gets really interesting. The original proposed. Two-state solution following the European powers post-World War I carving up of the Middle East, okay? In other words, Ottoman Turkey, the Ottomans were defeated in World War I, and that huge empire down there that dissolved and crumbled, and the people scattered as refugees to Egypt, Jordan, and, uh, you know, parts of Israel, unfortunately. Um, that's, you know, this, this, is, this is what happened. This happened in World War I. And Britain, you know, named a bunch of it Palestine, which was stupid. Should name it Israel, but they didn't. And, and I'm not an expert on Middle East history, but uh, let's uh, let me just read it as it says, uh, and it probably made more sense. So he says it is more plausible that the tooth fairy exists than a two-state solution, as presently conceived, ever becomes reality. Indeed, the original proposed two-state solution, following the European powers post World War One carving up of the Middle East, would have made all of quote mandatory Palestine, encompassing the entirety of the land of Israel from the river to the sea, as it is now said a Jewish state, and would have made the Emirate of Transjordan, which is today the entire kingdom of Jordan, uh, a so-called Palestinian state. But the modern two-state solution, which would have Gaza and the biblical heartland of Judea and Samaria, in other words, the West Bank, form the basis for an independent Palestinian state, is a fantasy, and should have died after Yasser Arafat's second intifada, and definitely should have died after the pogrom of October 7, 2023. Pogrom? That's a mass slaughter. Okay, that's what the Russians used to do to the Jews uh, way back when. Actually, not that long ago. Then he says to believe, to continue to believe after all the unspeakable horrors of October 7th, after the reality that Palestinian, quote, self-determination in Gaza following Israel's unilateral disengagement in 2005 resulted in the barbaric and genocidal, but democratically elected rule of an Islamic Reich, Reich uh, in a two-state solution is to reveal oneself to be entirely out of touch to anything smacking of empirical reality. Okay, he's a lot of big words, isn't he? He says, it is to reveal one's worldview as so deeply ideological, 
so wholly based on fanciful academic theorizing and so completely divorced from the facts on the ground that one will have inadvertently outed himself as a complete and utter fool. Well, Brandon did that a long time ago. See, I don't think Obama's a fool. I think he's highly intelligent. I also think he's a sociopath, borderline psychopath, uh, and wants to destroy this country and has been systematically doing that uh, since, uh, since his grooming for that job way back with Frank Marshall Davis and the other communists. So Obama was picked, which it reminds me, which, which sort of uh, leads to an interesting little sideline. Obama Swampy. Now, Obama Swampy is making headlines for, for saying all the right things uh, at the last uh, Goober debate. Now, the Goobers are who the Republican Party has picked because they want them, they want one of them to be president. Okay. So is my contention that both the Democrat Party and the Republican Party need to be dissolved because I don't want them choosing our candidates. They never choose a candidate who's actually uh, good enough to do the job. They didn't choose Trump. They didn't choose Reagan. They didn't choose um, Ross Perot. They didn't choose John Anderson. They didn't choose a lot of people who ran independently. Teddy Roosevelt, who, uh, who ran independently at one point. You know, so, so the best presidents uh, are, not necessarily, are usually not the people chosen by the party. So I think Obama Swampy has been chosen as the next John McCain and Mitt Romney. Oh, there's a switch. Gee, Greg, how do you figure that? Well, let me tell you. Because he's saying everything that a Mitt Romney or John McCain would say against Republicans. So he's the, he's the foil. He's the one that's going against the party. So if you remember John McCain, the maverick, the independent voice, he's going to save the Republican Party. He's the only one who can defeat Barack Obama which the opposite is true. He, he's the only one who could lose to Obama. Then Mitt Romney, four years later, Mitt Romney, the moderate, the voice of reason, not like the conservative extremists. No, Mitt Romney's the only one who can you know, defeat Barack Obama. And then he throws the election to him after the first debate. So, so enter number three. Well, the, the, the third one is supposed to be Jeb Bush, who was supposed to be the only moderate who could beat Hillary Clinton, and then Hillary would transfer in the election and uh, business as usual, right? So now the next business as usual candidate is Obama Swampy, Vivek Obama Swampy. Don't trust him for a second. He's getting up there. He looks very polished. He's saying things Trump said, you know, five years ago. <laughs> okay. He's saying all the right things. He's doing all the right moves. And it's only a matter of time before, uh, as the other goobers drop out of, of, the, of the election, that uh, the press is going to start to say, Vivek Obama Swampy is the only one, you know, who can save the Republican Party. He's the only one who can beat Joe Biden. In other words, not Trump. It's laughable, but I think they're going to try and do it. Um, but you never know, though. It might fail. It just as Mike Pence, I absolutely believe, was told that if he scuttles Trump, that he'll be the Republican nominee. And he was stupid enough to believe it. Now he's out. Tim Scott's out. So they got rid of the black guy. <laughs> you know, uh, who else is out? Um, various, uh, someone else dumped out, too. Um, but anyway, so you've got the you've got the ultimate uh, deep state. Uh, you got the warmongers. You've got um, Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. Nikki Haley, especially big time warmonger. Uh, I don't know. And, and you got Ron uh, DeSantis, who actually believed the propaganda that Trump would be indicted and he'd be able to become president. Don't believe the propaganda. Screws him up every time. It's really kind of funny. All right. So that's that's my take on Obama Swampy. Obama Swampy is a dangerous, um, manipulating individual who's you know who's like Obama. You know, he, he, he's the young, acceptable minority. <laughs> you know, he, he talks like a white guy, so he's acceptable. You know, as, as uh, Joe Biden would say, he's clean, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> yeah, anyway, but so that's it. So Obama Swampy is the George Soros leftist machine plant 
to uh, to sabotage the election, to sabotage the other candidates, to become nominee so that the Democrat can win. Presumably Gavin Newsom. Uh, the, I heard C-Ban thinks it's going to be Gavin Newsom and Witch Widmer. Widmer. What's his name? Gretchen Widmer, the, the Michigan uh, dictator who uh, illegally brought those COVID mandates. Isn't it interesting? The Democrats are putting forward the people, the governors with the, some of the strongest COVID illegal mandates. That's not, that's not a coincidence. That's, uh, that's definitely intentional. Why? Because they want to continue the dictatorship, right? That's how they do that. Isn't it amazing the things I can say here? And I, I just say them. <sighs> Eight minutes, then we'll get Jonathan. Then I can stop talking. Back to the article. To continue to believe after all the unspeakable horrors of October 7th that the reality that Palestinian self Oh, I read that one. Let's go back to Utter Fool again. So Brandon's an Utter Fool. Then it says there is an, an alternative explanation for those still stubbornly peddling a, quote, two-state solution. Oh, here we go. It is a darker explanation than, than mere incompetence or mental deficiency, a desire to simply see more October 7th pogroms, in other words, slaughters, and more dead Jews. Indeed, many on university campuses are barely concealing their desire for precisely this. Now, this is where I come in. I said that of the, of the, you hear this all the time, the two, the two schools of thought are incompetence or purposeful, just wanton warfare. Okay, I tend not to believe that things are done because of incompetence. I tend to believe that and that's what Washington. Well, they're just stupid. You know. No, they're not. This is all intentional. This is intentional. This is intentional warfare against Israel. And they're fighting it with propaganda. They're going to fight with budgets. You know, I don't they, they don't care that Israel's not getting money yet from uh, from the Congress. They don't care. You know, and they're probably in favor of that. But the Congress, the, the House is smart enough to know that they have that uh, Ukraine's where they want the money because that's where the money laundering is. Right. It all comes back to, uh, you know, the, um, the Democrat and the other folks uh, and the Republican, the piggy banks. Right. So that so Ukraine's nothing about a money laundering operation with half a million people dying. Hmm. Not not uh, not, a, not a decent operation. Anyway, so that's what they're doing. So so I believe that they they uh, basically they want the war. OK, they want the war. They want Israel destroyed in a war with Hamas and Iran and all these other countries. Right. Then it says, almost, we're almost done with the article. This is after, after October 7th, it is clear that the 2005 disengagement from Gaza will go down as one of Israel's all-time historical mistakes. Let me say that again. After October 7th, it is clear that the 2005 disengagement from Gaza, in other words, Israel gave up the Gaza in 2005. Those stupid morons, they never should have done that. Why would you ever give up something that you might need back someday? Shouldn't have done it. They should have kept Gaza. If they kept Gaza, none of this would be happening because Gaza would be part of Israel. It would have, uh, you know, tourist beaches and, and great, uh, you know, offices and beautiful apartments and parks. And it would look like the rest of Israel like it used to. That's what Gaza used to look like before, uh, before the refugees took over, before the Ottoman refugees took over. All right. Anyway, so all-time great historic. Yeah, it, that was a huge mistake for Israel. We knew at the time. We told them, Israel, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not going to work. Then it says, uh, the all-time historical mistake, then it says, along with ceding the Temple Mount to the Jordanian WAQF after the Six-Day War, the disastrous lack of preemptive action before the Yom Kippur War, and the Oslo Accords with Arafat. So those are the big mistakes. Giving up Gaza, giving up the Temple Mount, um, not uh, preparing for the Yom Kippur War, and the Oslo Peace Accords. All those were huge mistakes for Israel. Then it says, the world has seen what leaving Gaza to, quote, Palestinian self-determination results in. A jihadist entity that, indis- that indiscriminately fires rockets at Israeli civilians and commits Nazi-like war crimes. So that's what Gaza is. Gaza is a Nazi-like war crime place. So why, 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 why would it make sense for Israel to do anything but take back Gaza? It would be stupid for them not to do it. And now, they, now, they've, got to, now they've got the reason. 
So this is why I'm, I'm ah, I don't know. Was, was, I'll ask Jonathan because he's on the line now. I'll, I'll get him in a little bit. But uh, it's very possible that Israel uh, knew about this attack. I mean, they were broadcasting conversations uh, after the hospital uh, that was blown up when, when uh, uh, the Hamas missile, you know, uh, went to their own hospital instead of going to Israel. And they actually had conversations. You know, you had Ahmed and Mohammed, you know, talking about, I think this is our missile. It might be our missile. It didn't go to Israel. It came back to us. This is a problem. Okay, fine. Anyway, so that's what happened. So they're talking. Now, how did Israel get that conversation? So if Israel is good enough to pick up a conversation inside Gaza between Ahmed and Mohammed, you know, talking about how their Israel screwed up and hit their own hospital, how is it that they didn't know, that they didn't pick up communications for a whole bunch of, uh, you know, ultralight uh, paragliders were coming to Israel? So I think they knew. Okay, just I think FDR knew that uh, Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked. I think our government knew that 9-11 was going to happen. And uh, otherwise, they could have prevented it. I mean, you know, how hard is it to stop a bunch of Arabs with, uh, on tourist visas with box cutters? It's not that hard, right? But they let it go. And 9-11 happened, and then we got the Patriot Act. So I think all this is connected. So I do not believe the government causes these. There are those that think that these are a red flag, that the government caused 9-11. No. But they certainly capitalized on it. Did the government cause Tim McVeigh to blow up the Oklahoma building? No. But they certainly had demolition charges in place. Uh, that's what all the engineers are saying, and they used that opportunity. Did Israel, uh, you know, attack their own people? No, of course not, because if that was ever discovered, <laughs> that I'll be executed, or whatever, the, whatever the, the most severe penalty in Israel is. But did Israel know the attack was coming? Let it happen just enough to uh, inflame the, uh, the, the, the Israeli population and give them the pretense to go in and, cl- and reclaim Gaza? Absolutely. That is entirely possible. You know, in the same way that uh, Winston Churchill let the town of Coventry be bombed, knowing full well that he that they'd already broken the German code, but it was more valuable to the war effort in Germany uh, against Germany to not let the Germans know they'd broken the, the code than to evacuate Coventry. So they sacrificed the citizens of Coventry to protect the knowledge that they had the code, so they could use it against the Germans in, in all kinds of other operations. This is what happens in war. Okay, let's deal with the real world here. Okay, so anyway. Uh, I want some of this article, then I'll get Jonathan. Uh, okay, where are you there? Last couple of paragraphs. Biden is understandably concerned, no, he's not, uh, about his reelection prospects next fall. Yeah. Hey, anybody wants a debate question for Biden, ask him what year it is. <laughs> That's the first thing. Right? Said, but he's understand reelection prospects. Then it says there is only so much in the way of Muslim American support he can afford to lose. Like a true cynic, he has apparently chosen to shore up that support to the exclusion of our close allies' existential security. So there you go. So that's what, so, but here's the part where he says, um, the very least Israel, uh, let's see if I find, maybe I missed this part here. Uh, but here's the, here's the key part. The very least Israel must do is reassert operational control of Gaza's borders and security. Ideally, and this is my solution too, ideally a military occupation or formal, here we go, re-annexation would be on the table. So that's, that's, my, uh, that's my suggestion for Israel. That's my plan. Re-annexation. Uh, but I don't like that word annexation because that implies stealing. It's Israel, it's Israeli land. So I call it reincorporation. Okay? So Israel needs to reincorporate the Gaza that they gave up because it was Israel's before. Okay? They need to reincorporate the Gaza they gave up. They need to immediately you know, say, look, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, that's Israel. It's always been Israel. It's always going to be Israel. Screw the rest of you. And just uh, not only build settlements, but just occupy it completely. And the Golan Heights, the same thing. 
and say these are the borders of Israel. Israel is bordered on the north by the Golan Heights with Syria. It is bordered on the east uh, by the Jordan River. You know, on the western side is Israel, on the eastern side is Jordan, and is bordered on, on the, I don't know if the south of Israel is, anyway, uh, probably Jordan. There's <laughs> probably more Jordan down there. But, uh, and, and, and is bordered on the, on the west by, uh, you know, the Mediterranean Sea. And that includes Gaza. Now, at some point here, I forgot where it was, there, there was some article about, uh, uh, there's a sentence in here, and I think I, I may have missed it, about taking all the, the, the Gazan Hamas, you know, terrorists and putting them back in Egypt. That's in there somewhere. Let's see if I can find it here. Maybe I've missed it up. Anyway, it could be another article too. That's a, that's another thing too, is that Israel, uh, what they really need to do is to go completely clean out Gaza and give everybody a choice. All right? You, you assimilate into Israel, become an Israeli citizen, uh, and you live peacefully. Or if you want to be a Hamas you know, murderer, then we're going to stuff you into the Sinai and uh, close off uh, the Gaza. That's my solution. Pretty simple. Top of the hour. Time to ooh, actually finished on time. How did that happen? Let me get uh, Jonathan's report and we'll see what uh, he thinks of this. Of course, we're going to go other areas. We've got a bunch of legal stuff to talk about. Should be very interesting. I'll be right back. What is the law? Are we under the rule of law? Does that mean those who make the laws rule us? Aren't we under the consent of we the people, where we write the laws we consent to be governed by and rule the government? Who is the law? Is it the Supreme Court, the President, the Congress, the states? Can you take the law into your own hands? Is there any time the law isn't in your own hands? In a country under a coup d'etat and a stolen government, there is no law. But there are a whole bunch of things being done in the name of law. And now, with this state of confusion and contradiction, let's try to find a way out together by using the law. Because if our government of the people, by the people, and for the people means anything, it means we the people are the law. And now to try and make some sense of all this and use the law as it was meant to be used to find our way back to freedom, it's time now for The Legal Report with Jonathan Mosley. So what do you think of my, my One Nation solution, Jonathan? Make sense? Well, it's, uh, I, I, I called in early just to, to, to keep an eye on you, but I didn't call in early enough to hear all of it. But the um, <laughs> podcast, the, um, catch the no, podcast. I, yeah, it's a Pretty involved first hour. Yeah, they. Um, I mean, I I think it's it's got to be. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the Middle East there in that area is sort of like you know a, a big house is on fire, mm-hmm. and all the firemen and neighborhood just want to stand around arguing with each other instead of doing anything about it. No, they're pouring um, gasoline on so, it. <laughs> I think just the opposite. Well, <laughs> well here, yeah, that's here's good. my. Con- my contention is in the title of the show, Obama wants Israel to surrender to Hamas slash Muslim Brotherhood. I think Obama wants right. Israel destroyed. I, I just be blunt about that. He's a Muslim. I'll, I'll summarize the first hour. He's a Muslim. His father was a Muslim. He's never renounced Islam. You know, he, he's done all these things to Israel. He, he's always tried to sabotage Netanyahu's elections. He's always tried to give money to Iran and nuclear weapons to Iran. He purposely surrendered in Afghanistan, giving the Taliban $85 billion in our weapons. That was a gift to them. All this is about destroying Israel. Everything he does is about destroying Israel. And I, I, I just wish someone else would say it besides me. 
But that's what it looks like. Muslim Brotherhood was in the White House. He supported the Arab Spring. He supported the Muslim Brotherhood. He supported Robert Morsi in Egypt. I mean, everything Obama's done is about fundamentally transforming this country into a Muslim nation under Sharia law and uh, Israel uh, to not exist. It's pretty clear to me. And that that was the first hour. I think maybe you're selling Obama short. Um, He's sort (laughs) of like the... He's what? sort of like the anti-Trump. I mean, in, in every respect, across the board, in every possible way, he is, you know, he hates America, hates Western civilization. Yep. You know, I don't know if you remember the people. Hates white people. <clears throat> chanting, you know, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western civil, civ has got to go. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. these are people who hate, who hate everything that, mm-hmm. that is good, and they love everything that is evil. And, you know, so Obama, you know, he's like, he's like a, you know, a superhero of everything that is, that is evil. Um, so, so anyway, um, you, you know, I think that, <clears throat> that, um, that they need to, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, we have to go back, way, way back and nobody wants to do it, which is, which is terrible. I mean, again, the, 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 what, First of all, the whole thing that's going on right now, and it could tear the you know the country, the world apart, and great World War World War Three, is that nobody's going back to understand what the facts are. You know, there are there are there are people who will um, who will um, you know in, insist that you know they're they're, they're willing they're willing to uh, you know in fact they're, they're taking over the Babylon B had a great, a great issue. He said, he said the Nazis have finally taken London. Um, the, 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 <laughs> the demonstrations were so huge and so uh, rock, raucous and violent that you know they're they're joking. It's basically uh, basically the not the not, they had to wait this long, but the Nazis have finally taken over London. Um, and and so what did the London uh, government do? They fired the the home secretary who was criticizing the Palestinian um, right, you know demonstrations uh, and the thing is is we oh, had that's the- what that was all about I was watching Sky News and I couldn't figure it out they brought Dave Cameron David Cameron who's now Lord Cameron and they had this very pompous British man who was analyzing the situation he said that uh, yes uh, Dave Cameron has returned as home secretary you know and I couldn't figure out why. Now it makes sense because so the previous Home Secretary criticized, you know, and, and the fact that uh, London's becoming, well, England's becoming a Palestinian state, basically, or a Muslim state. Idiots. Right. You know, they're letting their country be taken over. I don't want, let's be blunt here. I don't want to live in a Muslim United States. I don't. I don't want to be under Sharia law. I don't want to have Muslim as the dominant religion because these people do not believe what we believe. They do not believe in the Constitution. They do not believe in individual rights. They do not believe that rights come from God. They believe that God oppresses everybody. And if you don't believe what they believe, they kill you. I don't want to live in that country. Right. But that, that's, that, that's the point is that because people, we cannot get a straight answer hmm. um, and common understanding of, of the facts. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have these violent di- differences of opinion and nobody is, is paying any attention to what are the facts. So, um, you know, but the thing is, the thing is, is that, you know, George, well, first of all, of course, there was the Ottoman Empire. And mm-hmm. I've been reading up where uh, that whole region was conquered by Babylon, like, <clears throat> what, uh, 
to 2,500, 3,000 years, 2,500 years ago. Years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, you Babylon, know, yeah, go ahead. Well, hold on. Babylon is an empire. It's a co- they were colonizers. They're, oh. you know, in today's terminology, they were a colonial, a colonial empire conquering other nations. Then the Assyrians did it. Then the Romans mm-hmm. did it. Mm-hmm. Then the Ottoman Empire did it. And the mm-hmm. British undermined the Ottoman Empire as part of their World War I strategy. Right. And, and it actually worked. So the Ottoman Empire collapsed. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up having to draw these arbitrary lines of all mm-hmm. these countries that never really existed, like Jordan and, <laughs> and Transjordan. And, and the, you know, I, the, you know Jordan <clears throat> was originally planned to be much bigger. And then they um, they um, and they're made up of Ottoman Turks. Most of Jordan's Ottoman Turks, just what we call well, what people are calling Palestinians today. They're the same people. They're refugees from well, Ottoman I, Turkey. I don't, I, I don't know because I think the Ottoman no, Empire. No, I do. I read of course, it. Was, no, I, I, I've okay, seen citations well, on that. But, yeah, but, so that's. I mean, yeah. the Ottoman Empire was gigantic. Mm-hmm. So, so to say that everyone who's Ottoman is therefore X is. Uh, I don't, no, no, I'm no, not but sure refugees, about that. Refugees, well, a lot of them stayed in Turkey, I think, as the empire shrank. So they're still in Turkey. But uh, almost half, either either more than or, or just under half of Jordan are Ottoman Turk refugees from World War I. That's where they came from. Egypt has a large percentage, <laughs> too. So the idea that uh, Jordan and Egypt, who are already filled with millions of Ottoman Turk refugees, can't take uh, the folks in Gaza that want to kill Israel is absurd. Of course they can't. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting because World War One, mm-hmm. um, the Germans um, sponsored the communist revolution in Russia. They wait, literally wait, 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 put, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, hold it right there. Hold it right there. Say that again. Yeah. The, the, the Germans, realizing they were losing World War One, sent they, they put Lenin, who was, you know, Leon Trotsky was a Ukrainian. Joseph Stalin was Georgian. Lenin was a Russian, but he was in exile in Europe. Right. So he was in Paris, a, he wasn't was he? Bit, was he in yeah, France? he was a bit player because he tried a, a 1905 revolution, and hmm. the Russian Empire, the Tsarist police, um, kicked him out. So hmm. the only person who was really there was a Ukrainian, Leon Trotsky, and right. and Joseph Stalin, a Georgian. So they 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 so but anyway so. Lenin, you know, the Kaiser, there's even photographs of them of shaking hands at the train as they're leaving. They, huh. put, uh, they put crates of gold and Lenin and his well, team on a steel train, before. meaning they have to go all the way to St. Petersburg, and they, we don't want them getting off and causing trouble in Germany. So it was a steel right. train. They went over, they sponsored the communist revolution and created a monster. You know, they, they, they accomplished their goal of knocking Russia out of World War One, but they created this Frankenstein in the process. They all, you know, the same thing happened paid for with it the later British. Paid for World War Two. Yeah, and when the yeah. British, oh, they sure did. They, 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 the Soviet Union clobbered them. But, but the thing is, so the British did the same thing with the Ottoman Empire. Okay. They, they, they went into the soft underbelly of, mm-hmm. of their enemies, the Ottoman Empire, and yeah. created this, you know, a, and, and undermined, you know, Germany and Austria, you know, through the Ottoman Empire in other ways. And, and then again, 
What was Germany and, and the Ottomans aligned? I mean, I remember the Austro-Hungarian yeah. Empire. Was was the Austro-Hungarian yeah. Empire part of this too? I, I I'm not I'm not convinced that that you know I don't I don't know that the Ottoman Empire was like an important player, but it was huge and it was aligned and they saw it as the they saw right. it as the <clears throat> up they saw it as the um um soft underbelly the way we did going into Sicily and. And all those places, but that's, that's but, Churchill but anyway, terminology. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, right. So, um, so anyway, they both created these monsters. Hmm. You know, so so England, England destroyed the, the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire collapsed, mm-hmm. and uh oh, now what are we going to do? <laughs> we have this complete, complete mess on our hands, and and so they had to like stand up countries that had been ruled by these Ottoman Empire dictators and colonizers. Mm-hmm. And so they created all these fake countries, um, <laughs> like Jordan. Like, and, like Iraq, and Greenland. <laughs> for yeah. example? I mean, all these arbitrary... Yeah. And, and, of course, the peoples have been fighting each other because, you know, they grouped these different people together and said, I don't want to be in this, this country with well, that Why didn't person. they renegotiate the borders? This is, something, this, is, this is really an interesting idea. If they weren't happy, if the people who were there weren't happy, I mean, you take Iraq, for example. It's, it's Shiites, it's, it's Sunnis, and it's Kurds. It's not a good combination. Why don't they renegotiate the borders? I mean, we've got the United Nations. Why do they stay within the border? I don't know. I'm just curious. I mean, obviously, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unanswerable question, but, I think, I don't, but sometimes the best questions are the ones that get asked, and you have to think about it. Because they're they're staying in their borders. Saudi Arabia is not changing the borders because the country's huge. You know, Yemen and uh, Somalia. I don't see them. Uh, you know, encroaching on Saudi Arabia. They're still fighting each other, well, or and themselves. I mean, there is an attitude. There is an attitude that that one <clears throat> missionary explained on the Seven Hundred Club a couple decades ago. It's like, you know, like oh, that would be wonderful if somebody did that for us. Um. So. Hmm. Um. Hmm. They, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of, when, you, when you deal with, I mean, they complain about colonial Europe, but they've internalized this inferiority. Um, they, um, they, uh, um, you know, so they, it's like, you know, we, we need permission from the great European powers to do anything. Like, that mm. would be wonderful. Maybe somebody will do that for us instead of like, well, why don't you do it yourself? Exactly. Uh, but they've internalized this colony, you know, this inferiority of Europe. And this is why Lawrence Russia, of Arabia discovered that. Remember Lawrence of Arabia tried to make independent Arab right. states and they wouldn't do it. It's like they're too busy fighting yeah. each other. And yeah, well, I mean, there are very few places. I mean, this is, you look at the productive free places in the world, Western Europe, that's where they, and Eastern Europe too. I mean, but Europe. Europe, before there was the United States, before there was a North America, before, you know, back when, uh, you know, Native Americans were, or American Indians were, were running the place over here, Europe had a civilization. And there are other civilizations, too, great ones. We talked about Greece and Egypt and Rome and things like that. But uh, Europe, you know, uh, is, is where freedom was born. It was, and we talked about this in the first hour. It was born in England, you know. And, of course, it's interesting that communism was born in Germany, you know, with Karl Marx, um, which is quite fascinating. But so, so you, get the, you get the opposite effect. You get the yin and the yang. But, uh, and I talked about what Dr. Peter Price said, that uh, when people say white supremacy, what they're really saying is the supremacy of, of ideas, not, not the actual skin color. And the supremacy of the idea of the individual of freedom, uh, of limited government, of rights from God, and the whole thing. I'm not going to go through it again. But that's, that is the supreme belief. This is what they hate so much. 
And freedom did not come from Africa, did not come from Asia. It did not come from the indigenous peoples of North or South America. It did not come from anywhere. It came from England. (laughs) That's where it started. And so these folks forget, people forget that, that the rest of the world, you know, especially Anopianki gets on this all the time. Surprised he hasn't called in this morning, but uh, he's he's talking and he goes back to ancient history and the fact that folks weren't white there. And and he talks about uh, European Jews don't belong there. It's really kind of an interesting conversation, but quite frankly, uh, I want to ask you the same question I would ask him. uh, Why does that matter? You know, these ancient claims, you know, people can argue it forever. It's not going to solve anything. The world as as it exists today. The world of today is that Muslims control Indonesia, the entire top of Africa, you know, the Middle East, Persia, and, and who knows where else. Um, and uh, Israel gets something, the si- I mean, Jews get something the size of New Jersey, <coughs> this little plot of desert land, uh, and they should have secure borders. So Jews get Israel and Muslims get, you know, 15 other countries or six, 57 other countries, I think it is. Well, that's, that, that's, that's the thing. It's like if you talk about... I, how can I put it? Is that they, um, is that they, uh, um, I mean, there's just such inconsistent mental inconsistency here. Mm-hmm. They, um, uh, be, because, because people want to say, well, it, you know, it, I mean, you, you can look at it in so many different ways say, you know, it doesn't matter about the past, but then they argue about the past. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, can we, I'm not can saying we, it doesn't matter, but I'm saying it's never going to be settled. You can't base well, the I, arguments okay. of today on what happened in the past. Cause everybody's going to, you know, if it goes back to, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, that one's never going right. to get resolved. Yeah. No, but I'm saying it's like people, you know, you, you, you want to talk about like, you know, all of the, all of the Hebrew ar- um, ar- artifacts, archeological artifacts that go back, um, to, um, you know, about, Three to thirty-five hundred, four thousand years ago, and then mm-hmm. people say, "Well, that doesn't matter." And then they go back to arguing about what they said doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, well, could we make up our minds? You know, what what's the what's yeah. the story? You know, what's the plan here? So, um, so the thing is, is what I'm getting to is, is that the creation of these arbitrary countries included the fact that the Palestinians were going to live in Jordan. Now you could say, "Well, that's not fair to Jordan," but Jordan didn't exist. Yeah, you know Jordan. Jordan is a new country because of World War One, that never existed. So, you know, so is it fair to Jordan? Well, I, you know, I guess. Um, so the but, but Jordan's the plan, made up of the, mostly well, what they call Palestinians anyway. So why wouldn't the Palestinians live there? Because they're already there. Right. Well, that in huge that's numbers. right. <clears throat> they were defined that way. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so how? But you know, so how are you going to look at it? But but the thing that, that strikes me is that. Um, they have to, you know, they have to come to some kind of, the, the, the biggest problem, it seems to me, is that the only people who can fix the Palestinian problem is the rest of the Arab world, and they refuse to do it. No, they use the Palestinians. They use them to destroy Israel. See, this all comes down to destroying Israel. If you look at anything, any of these policies, that's what Obama wants. That's what, uh, you know, so many people across the world want. They want Israel destroyed. And Israel, that's, that, that alone is reason for Israel to exist. But, uh, but all these people that are there, why would you may, mandate that people who are the same as people in Jordan, the same as people in Egypt, have to stay in Israel when they hate the Israelis, when they're trying to kill them, when they, when they, they attack them in, in, in large numbers? That's just stupid. Like I said, that would be like blaming the United States for Pearl Harbor and telling us we can't uh, retaliate against Japan. The same thing. No, but again, it depends on... 
whether you think that the Israelis stole Palestinian land. They'll say, oh, I see what you're well, if, you know, if someone invaded mm-hmm. parts of the United States, wouldn't we fight? Mm-hmm. You know, the, so the so they'll say like, well, we don't want to talk about, you know, all this evidence of the past, mm-hmm. but um, but then that's the only thing they want to talk about. So, I mean, but well, if you just, but if you just it's Israeli land problem, now, I and mean, the borders have been changed. This Israeli land now, it went through, I guess, the UN, and you know, and it's not a state of Israel; it's a nation. So when people, this is what frustrates me. They keep talking about the two-state solution. Well, you're 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 trying to equate two things that you can't equate. There is no Palestinian people, so they have no state. Israel is not a state; it's a nation. It's a country. And so, so it, it, to me, it's the one-country solution, the one-nation solution. And the fact that all these uh, folks that call themselves Palestinians uh, have uh, are the same as the people in Jordan and, and Egypt makes no sense to understand Israel unless they want to become Israeli citizens. So become an Israeli citizen or get the hell out. If you're well, a I'm, I'm just saying that Go. I don't see any I don't see any yeah. possible solution unless I mean e- look Egypt is it, taught in negotiation that Egypt they attacked Israel Israel took the Sinai for a long time I don't know how how, how long you know. Israel occupied the Sinai. It was just this empty, you know, nobody, they don't need the damn Sinai. They didn't have it, for, you know, for forever. It's like this, but it does have, it does border on, on the, the water and they could do, you know, they could do some, some tourist things that people could live there and things like that. So, um, and they, they finally got this deal where the Sinai, you know, Egypt agreed to demilitarize the Sinai and for their pride, they'd get it back. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, so the thing is, could 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 the Gazans live and just move 50 miles down the road and yeah. be on the water mm-hmm. and be, you know, in the Sinai? I think so, but Egypt well, that, is like hell no. We don't want to do that. But that's but that's what they're doing though. See, see, you notice Israel invaded from the north. They didn't invade from the south. They didn't. They're not driving the Gazan uh, occupants up into uh, north into Israel. They're driving them down into Egypt. I mean, this is this is so obviously intentional. So they started in the north and said, "Keep moving south. Keep moving south. Move towards that uh, that Egyptian border." And they're going to force them all the way across the border into Egypt. And Egypt's just going to well, be stuck with them. That's just the way it is. They're going to have to, but Egypt is not going to be, you know, it's not going to jump up and, well, they're going to jump up and down in a bad way about that. Egypt's well, going to say, then, hell uh, no. Then, then we'll see what happens. But I, I think that is the, that is the plan for, for Israel. I think that's been the plan all along, is to drive, the Gaza, drive Hamas and all the terrorists out of Gaza. Uh, and anybody that doesn't want to be, a, you know, an Israeli good citizen and support Israel, uh, out of Gaza and into Egypt, into the Sinai. Well, I mean, I had a I had a thought that's not really um, well thought through, <clears throat> um, but um, um, the uh, um, so so the thing the thing is is that the pro- the problem with Gaza is they have to separate terrorists from the um, you know from the the civilians, assuming there are any actual civilians. Um, and so how do you, but you have, so you have to like either, either they have to go in there and do uh, door-to-door urban combat, or they have to separate, you know, move them out into the Sinai and sort them out. And, and let's let the people move back. back. Yeah, move everybody out. 
Move everybody out, and then let and then certain move, people move, move back. Move the innocent, you know, In, the people the who are willing to live. You know, send them back. Now, as I understand, I don't know the exact numbers. <laughs> about, um, I think some people say a million, other people say two million Palestinian Muslims live in Israel. They, they've been on the Supreme Court. They've been, they've been members of the parliament, the Knesset. They've been yeah, but they're in Israeli. The, in the, they're Israeli citizens, and that's fine. I don't, they're Israeli good. citizens, but they're Palestinians and they're Muslims. They're mm, not Jews. Okay. Right, but the only difference is that they don't, you know, they've made up their mind that they're not going to kill people. Exactly. So if you kill... If you, ki- if you kill your neighbors, you're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. If you stop killing your neighbors, you can live just as good as any Israeli in Israel. Well, that, that's fine. That's exactly what I've been saying. That's exactly what I've been saying is that you have to go through. And if you're going to be a good Israeli citizen, whether you're a Palestinian Muslim, it doesn't matter. As long as you're going to be uh, – as long as you assimilate into Israel, you can stay. If you're not going to assimilate into Israel, then you've got to go to Egypt or Jordan. Anyway, I want to get to your stuff because we got about thirty-five minutes left before right. Dorothy gets. Yeah, so. I know. We got. I was just going to say. We got, so anyway, so um, mm-hmm. first of all, we're going the the uh, um, a court in Colorado, of course, had a case brought by the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, um, mm-hmm. who uh, who uh, attacked my friend Christine O'Donnell, and basically they're just they're they're just political assassins that try to wrap themselves in that. They're basically unethical people who wrap huh. themselves in ethics. Um, they, uh, um, you know, that, that's the way they do things. So anyway, they brought this lawsuit um, to disqualify Trump from the border under the, the 14th Amendment. You mean and, the ballot? Yeah, off the ballot, yeah. And um, the border. And the, um, so we've been following that, and I got involved mm-hmm. because um, – well, first of all, the issue is, of course, uh, the, the, the 14th Amendment disqualifies from the ballot somebody who um, um, who has um, engaged in an insurrection against the United States Constitution. Now, we've had all this and talk about... who did that? Let me hold you up just for a second, because this is fascinating. Well, we, we, we've had this... And who is the only group, who is the only group that has taken up arms against the union, against the federal government in our history with an alternative government? For the Democrat Party. The, 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 Democrat, the, the Democrat Party. The Confederacy was the Democrat Party. And because of that, does that not mean that the Democrats should have been banned from office um, back in 1864 or 18, whenever the 14th Amendment was ratified? So the only people that can be, that can be kicked off the ballot on the 14th Amendment are Democrats. Right? Um, that's, that's uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Just want to make that clear to everybody. So, so the, um, the, the problem is, of course, is there, there's a lot of, you know, because the Constitution have, having a lot of debates about whether or not this is self-executing. Um, although, how's that? Not, very clearly. Self-executing? So, you know, how, how is it automatic? I don't get it. What, what's their argument? That's it. They're trying to say, they're trying to say, is it automatic or does Congress have to make that rules? I mean, like, sex, this is Section 3. No, it's Section moot. Section 5. <laughs> it's not automatic. It's moot. <laughs> for, for Trump. Is it, well, you know, Trump is never taking a They're arguing all yeah. these different things. They're trying to say, like, well, you, you know, it's your opinion 
that there was an insurrection, that doesn't mean that automatically somebody's disqualified from the ballot. Right. And um, so, um, and then there's a question of, was there an insurrection? And, you know, Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, like many of the amendments, says the Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so part of the, the idea is, is that well, we have this, I mean, basically my interpretation of this and other things is that this is an authorizing amendment. This authorizes Congress to pass legislation if they want mm-hmm. um, to have they? disqualify. <clears throat> no. That's the, that's okay. the problem. It's like you're arguing. Like, so so then they can't kick Trump off the ballot if there's no legislation. Not that well, they did anyway because that would be illegal. Yeah. That's what they're arguing about. And this, this uh. soft-spoken judge who donated to, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a demo, to an anti-Trump PAC. Um, <laughs> it's literally, no, it's, so, although her, her, no, but her it's response. because the, the geldings don't call for this judge to be removed. Or don't force him off oh, the, no, they, off the they case. Have. Oh, they, they have. They have. How um, but, you know, but they should make a bigger stink about that. And, and in fact, maybe we'll detour for a minute to elite, um, uh, Lee Stefanik um, filed okay. a, a complaint. Um, so, so they, the thing is, is so, so they're saying that, you know, now the judge is saying like, well, you mean if Congress doesn't, I mean, cause we, we interpret, we, the judiciary interpret the constitution all the time. You're saying we can't interpret it unless Congress passes these laws. And like, no, that's not the point. The point is, is the 14th amendment, if you read it and understand the constitution, because most of the constitution authorizes the, you know, it, it gives Congress the, like, for example, <clears throat> it gives Congress the power to tax, in, in, what do they call it? Excise taxes, in, you know, tr- tariffs. To, to, to Duties, imposts and excises. Yep. Right. That doesn't mean that a court can go in there and order them to do it. That's right. It just gives them the power to do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if but if they don't choose to do it, it's none of your damn business, Judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so so it's it's so in the same way, I think that this thing of disqualifying from the ballot, it's not about whether the judge is, 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 can interpret it. It's about whether Congress has chosen to use this power, considering the fact that, first of all, this the section section three says that Congress made by a, a vote of two thirds of each house remove such disability, which suggests that the meaning of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is, again, to put, the ha- put it in the hands of Congress. Um, so, um, now, it, it, it has some limitations. It's not, you know, it's a mixed bag, but, it, but it, you know, it does suggest that this is, a, this is about Congress having the authority to do it. It's not about something automatic. Um, and, um, and, and the, uh, I've, I've heard, I know that the, the Trump lawyers are pessimistic that they're going to get any kind of justice out of this judge from some of the pretrial motions. I mean, people have to understand, by the time you hear there's a trial, there's been mm-hmm. months of pretrial motions, and, you know, they mm-hmm. pretty much reveal the judge is not going to follow the law. Um, but, you know, so this is going to have to go up on appeal. But the issue is, and they had about <clears throat> um, 10 days of trial before a judge, no jury, and then they're taking forever to, um, like, to, they were supposed to on Friday, but 
I think they are going to treat that. They basically, when something falls on a holiday, you get through, um, um, you get through uh, um, a, um, you get through the next Monday. So they have some money, but they're supposed to put proposed findings and facts for the, for the uh, judge to consider. And apparently the judge has some conflict. So basically the trial is basically over, which is scandalous um, that they would do something so important in like, I think, I think she initially assigned 18 hours to each side. I mean, that's a joke. Um, but in any event, they're still, they're still kind of, they're still kind of well, hanging for around. For, for show trial, it makes perfect right. sense. The, for a show trial, yeah. the shorter the trial, the better. Yeah. So, yeah. But here's the question though. What are the grounds for taking somebody off a ballot? Well, let's, let's go past precedent. What's, what's, what are reasons people have been taken off a ballot? Uh, fraudulent uh, nomination signatures or a felony conviction or bribery or what are the things, what are the reasons people have been taken off a ballot? Yeah, where died. being on the ballot by state law <laughs> requires uh-huh. a certain number of petitions right. to qualify, then that's, a, that's been a reason. Newt Ginrich got booted off the Virginia ballot, and I, and I tried to file a, a lawsuit about that a million years ago, <clears throat> and um, I think as a voter. And, so eligibility. Um, eligibility is like the big reason you, you get kicked off a ballot. You're not eligible. You said you were, but you're really not. Would that be well, fair? Eligibility is considered something kind of immutable. Like, are you are you 35 years old? Mm-hmm. You know, are are you a citizen of the United States? Of course, Ooh, well, we don't. Are you a natural born yeah, citizen? Yes. Yeah, the Obama's birth certificate yeah. was ruled a fraud. But, but, but that's another but, show. But again, remember, <laughs> yep. remember there are rules for Republicans, and then there are rules for Democrats. So oh, gotta, that's true. I keep forgetting. What was that? There thinking? are better. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to ask our masses if in the Democrat the, Party if we uh, the Alpha Party out. versus the the Betos the Betos Party <laughs> yeah yeah so so anyway but to the so I, I think nobody has ever been taken off the ballot for and, and the other thing too is that after the world after the Civil War the mm-hmm. Congress voted to give a pardon to everybody mm-hmm. and the president did too I think but, but I think Congress participated. I have to get so um, they um, what the, the whole purpose of this thing is the Civil War and the government after the Civil War said we want reconciliation we're going to wipe it all out everybody gets a pardon so, so why do they keep this amendment the whole, then yeah what the hell I mean what the the purpose of this amendment is is pointless because the yeah, only if example yeah, the only person that the only reason that anybody can point to for this whole process no longer exists. Not just because of the passage of time, but because of a decision to eliminate it. Um, so anyway, but of course, then the real question is then is what is a um, insurrection, which nobody knows, and then the other um, the uh, um, the other thing is. Uh, um, is that, <clears throat> you know, was there an insurrection and did the president participate in it? And the whole problem is they're just assuming that's that. I mean, like, Greg, I, I, I don't know. I mean, apparent, you know, maybe they will arrest you for being a, a, a prison guard at, at uh, in, in the World War II at a, you know, at, at um, Luke, Luke, 
what is it? Uh, I can't think, remember the name, Auschwitz. You know, the, it's like, well, were you even born then? Like, oh, don't bother us with details. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So, so it's like we just assume, you know, if 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 if, if freaks and, and nut jobs just say that there was an insurrection and Trump participated in it, then mm-hmm. you know it's true because otherwise I'll stomp my feet and roll on the floor until I turn blue, um, because that's that's what liberals are. So the question, you know, the question is. They tried to deal with Cash Patel came out. Cash Patel testified that mm-hmm. I mean, because he was a he was not just an advisor. He went what was he? He was like the chief of staff to yep. the Secretary of Defense or Army or something like that. So he was in the room in an official capacity, and he said he said that Donald Trump offered ten thousand to twenty thousand troops a few days before January sixth, twenty twenty one. Now, you, you'll hear, you know, supreme frauds like Liz Cheney say that uh, Trump didn't do anything on January 6th. Well, that's because he did it three days earlier. <laughs> you know, he was he was early. So what's your problem? You know, how, how is it a problem that he, you know, that he offered the National Guard, you know, before the day? But he didn't he didn't order the National Guard out on the day because he'd already done it before the day. Um, so you, you have all these, you know, all the, all the lying rhinos. Well, there's a missing um, component to this too. The, the, something that's missing is that the real insurrection was done by the deep state when they stole the government. Yeah, but they're not, they're not even going to, I mean, but the, that but the deep so state are the ones who are putting on the trial and they're not going to convict themselves. So there's, there's your, there's your fraud. There's, there's your mistrial. There's your, but that's uh, like, yeah, but that's like it's like talking quantum mechanics to a gerbil. I mean, these people are not, are not just not, and, and then they don't want to, you know, and, and, and our own lawyers, you know, aren't, don't uh-huh. want to do that. So anyway. But that's the, that's the so best defense. The, 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 the Trump yeah, couldn't, and, and here's the thing too, that people keep forgetting. The January 6th people were not protesters. They were supporters. They were supporting the Constitution. They were supporting the constitutional procedure for counting electors. This is where the well, democracy begins. Because everybody gets not that. They're not protesters. They're not rioters. They're not insurrectionists. They're just the opposite. They're actually constitutional supporters. The real insurrectionists are the ones that stole the election. And that is the best defense. Yeah, well, but, but the thing is, is that that's not what Rachel Maddow told us. Um, oh, well, I so, can't help uh, you there. And, and uh, so anyway, so here, so here's the argument they put on from the beginning, and I caught the the opening. And and this, <clears throat> the days are mostly on C-SPAN, although inconsistently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can see, you can go back for years on C-SPAN and see recorded things, unless they're things that would help the, the Republicans, and then then the uh, presence is spotty. Um, right. So. Um, so the thing is, they say that here, here's what happened is that Trump told the, the Proud Boys what, you know, to, to uh, you know, be ready for violence, which, of course, is the exact opposite of what happened. You know, they Chris Wallace kept saying, you know, are, are you willing to condemn, you know, white supremacy and, and political violence? Was, sure, I've done it all the time. Like, oh, well, then are you ready to do it now, sir? I just, you know, he didn't. Yes, I am. He, he should have said, I just did. 
You know, so Chris Wallace keeps asking him the same question over and over again. And, oh, yeah. and Trump keeps saying, yes, I condemn political violence. You know, I, you know, they, they need to stop. And then, and this is, well, are you ready to do it then? Like, yes. Um, okay. Well then will you no, condemn that was, them? That was to keep, not- that was to keep it in the public's mind. That's, that's propaganda. That's a psyop. There are ways around it. You know, there's so many ways around it, like uh, of asking him, you know, do you support, uh, you know, do, do you believe in honesty and integrity in, in, in elections? You know, I mean, there's just so many ways. I would, I have to think of a good strategy. I can't think of it off the top of my head here. But this, this continually asking the question, you got to go into Chris's background, ask him some stuff too, to get catch him off guard, and say, look, you, you know, I don't know, how would you, how would you frame it? What would be a good argument against this? Um, but that's what they were saying. They, they kept, you know, why would you disavow? You know, so and now ask him if he disavows it. You know, do you do you disavow? Do you do you hate lying? Do you hate lying in politics? Do you hate? I don't know. I can't think of this is unusual for me not to be able to think of a good argument right off the top of my head, but But you you just turn it around. You've got to turn around on Chris, you know, for keeping asking that question. Trump looked um, baffled. Yeah. Because he keeps, okay, who do you want me? He says, who do you want me to condemn? Give me a name. Give me a name. Mm -hmm. And and Joe Biden jumps in and says, Mm -hmm. the Proud Boys. And so he says, okay, Proud Boys. Now, he was just asked to condemn someone. And he says, who do you want me to condemn? That was stupid. And, and he says, and they says, condemn the Proud Boys. And he says, okay, Proud Boys. So how is that a grand conspiracy between Donald Trump and the Proud Boys when he's asking them, who, you know, who does he want to condemn? And he condemns the Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, facts don't matter to people. So then, no, so then I he... I thought of my argument. I got my argument now. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Okay. Well, my argument well, would be to ask. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, what do you want? Uh, all right, whatever. Well, but, I, when, when they were saying to Trump all those things, I would have said, okay, do you condemn, condemn the Democrat KKK? Do you condemn the Democrat segregation? Do you condemn, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the Confederacy? Do you condemn the slavery the Democrats brought to America? You know, do you renounce violence, you know, that way? Do you, do you condemn... Uh, uh, or do you do you demand that that uh, Black Lives Matter renounce violence? Do you demand that Antifa renounce violence? Well, he did. He that... did keep he did keep saying that he did keep okay, saying good. that it was uh, mm-hmm. that it was you know it's, the, the violence is all on the left. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, but um, um, uh, so anyway, they they go on. so then they say he gathered this crowd to Washington. He collected mm-hmm. the crowd. And, and this is this is their argument. And and then at at the ellipse, he said, you know, he said, uh, you're going to go down to the uh, to the capital and let your voices be heard. But what that really means is, you know, attack everybody, not let your voices be heard. Um, he said peacefully and patriotically. He said, well, why would you need to say that unless you knew people were going to be violent? And, and then they try to say that they, 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 oh, they go weird. back to the same. He says, he said, mm-hmm. fight 20 times. Like everybody, you know, talks about politically fighting and they know that. Of course. And so then they say that the crowd went down to the Capitol and they showed the view from the top of the dome where everybody was just standing around. So at 2.23 <laughs> p.m., there were people and, and, and he said that the, the lawyer says, like, they're not doing much of anything. They're just standing around. And so, therefore, at 224, seeing this video, no, wait a minute, 
how does the president tap into the Congress's internal, you know, security camera system and know what video, know what camera to select? So they just assume that we're, I mean, I don't know who's dumber. They think we're dumb or they're dumb or both. But they, they assume because they have the security camera video, you know, years later, and they're looking at the, the, the crowd just standing there, that means Trump was watching it in real time. Like, hmm. what? Oh, and the other thing you have to point out is that everybody assumes, well, isn't the president responsible for, <clears throat> you know, for security and law and order? No. The legislative branch is a separate branch. Yeah. It cannot be dependent upon the executive branch. And that's why Congress has, by statute, created the U.S. Capitol Police. Well, that wasn't a... Then, and that wasn't a white... That wasn't a presidential Trump administration sanctioned event. That was a bunch of people who showed up to... Uh, and again, they were supporting the Constitution. They were supporting the electoral account. And that gets missed. Um, Johnny Monaco <laughs> has, has typed in some stuff here that uh, he says... Uh, is Johnson tracking the reports that the Capitol Police Chief Dunn and Special Agent David Lazarus perjured themselves while testifying against January 6th trials? Apparently, the, the videos are coming out that uh, yeah, Mike, that, that uh, Mike is, Johnson. Yeah, what's going on there? Oh, I don't know that Mike Johnson is you know, doing anything. But um, well, the videos but, are out. Um, the Blaze has them well, on. I, think, the, I don't know who else does. Attorney Brad Geyer and, uh-huh. and journalist... Um, Steve Baker okay. and, and some other people are all over that. And they, they are going to blow that sky high. And there's some okay. timing. They found out that, you know, that, that the, um, that the, uh, um, they've gotten feedback that inside the DOJ, people are terrified of this story. Because it, it, because the these two police, these two police <laughs> yeah. officers committed perjury, no right. question. Mm-hmm. And an attorney cannot put on a witness that he knows is going to commit perjury. It's called suborning perjury. Oh, and that's interesting. If the prosecutor called a witness to the stand to commit perjury or knowing that he was going to commit perjury, the prosecutor mm-hmm. is, you know, is disbarred and possibly worse. And attorney-client privilege doesn't protect him from this, right? Uh, let's complicate it. I mean, if if if, if, there's, if there's if there's a plan for a future, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if if the it, you know the evidence is so overwhelming that that um, the prosecutor knew that this is perjury, and, and in fact, we brought it up. I mean, like, you know, the, the whole thing, like the, you know, I, I got, I got yelled at by the judge and everything else because, because I referred to the, you know, Officer Dunn admitted in his uh-huh. FBI interview that the Oath Keepers helped him. His, his big issue was, oh, I didn't need help. I'm so <laughs> great. And I, I yeah. had everything under control, you know, which is kind of weird if you say it's a riot and, and when. You know, when they offered to help, it's like, oh, I don't need any help. Well, then how come it's this terrible riot if you've got everything under control? Um, and then he said, <clears throat> um, but, he, but he begrudgingly admits that, that, but they did help me. You know, and if you're going to engage in an insurrection, you stop and you help the palace guard. I mean, <laughs> what? And, and so then they went to trial much later than that. 
and lied, and, and he got it. They got up and lied, and he's li- You know, he's been he's been dining out on these terrible lies and crying about things, but the judge and the prosecutor were hysterical to cover up this FBI report where he admitted that everything else he's been saying is a lie. So, so, they're, so they're in on it. That means they knew. So if, if they're worried about it, see, if yeah. they weren't worried about it, they say, oh, my God, I can't believe that person lied. How'd that happen? We have to do something about these uh, convictions and all these January 6th people. But they're not saying that. Cause and, they're a, and, a, and a an attorney or, <laughs> or a prosecutor, if they learn that someone did lie after the fact, they have to go to the judge and say, and correct the record. How about if the judge say, Your Honor, the testimony that was put on, I now realize it's false. And this brings us in what little time we have left to the Colorado case. So what I'm finishing is, is their argument is that then the president came and um, um, they, uh, um, they, 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 he, he gathered this crowd and the crowd was, went to the Capitol and the Capitol wasn't doing anything. So he had to send this 2.24 p.m. tweet to, um, to launch the crowd mm-hmm. into action because they were standing there, but they weren't committing violence, and he had to launch them to be violent. And, and, the, and the attorneys for a crew, you know, against Trump were saying that, <clears throat> um, that, it's, um, that he was uh, – um, that at that point, instantly – the crowd reacted, and that's when the violence started. And the, and what they say is that he sent out this tweet, and Trennis Evans, mm-hmm. in his bright yellow ski cap and um, and his bullhorn, read the tweet to the crowd. So they're saying that, that Trump tweeted it out. Trennis Evans twi- um, bullhorned, you know, blasted out to the crowd over his bullhorn. And that's when the crowd instantly turned violent and started to attack the Capitol. Hmm. Now, the fact is that Trennis Evans read that tweet at about two hours later. <laughs> so, well, yeah, so and, they, so. Uh, well, we've got a question here from, uh, from John who, who asks a procedural question. Could the judge throw out the verdict and release the defendants immediately based upon these videos? If we had yes. a real Supreme Court, couldn't they intervene well, and do we, the same thing? So where's the Supreme Court and where's the uh, where's the judge on on these uh, this well, new evidence? Well, I mean, if if it were a real judge, uh, yes, the judge could the judge would th- not only could but would throw them out. Okay. Um, so they'd, so they'd, and, be out, they'd be out of jail, right? They'd be out of jail. They would just the yeah, but we don't. Do? We have we umpires who are wearing. Okay. What they be? Well, they probably get a whole new trial, and those charges would be. <clears throat> would be thrown out, but the, okay. um, I mean, cause remember there's lots of charges. There's not just one charge. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about whether or not a charge is valid or not, remember there are other lesser things, but, but with such a black eye, such a stain, you know, it's a D a, a real deal. DOJ would not prosecute. They would drop it. Um, and, and they would do an investigation of the prosecutor and what did they know and when did they know it? Um, so, um, you know, but we have umpires and called judges who um, who are wearing the jerseys of one side. Um, mm. So they're uh, you know they're all they're all team you know team Democrats. So um, so that that I mean every aspect of this. People ask, 
why, you know, why don't you file this motion? Why don't you do these things? In any normal world, all those things would work. Every single one of them. Uh, a a rec- recuse the judge. The judge, is, the judge should, out of an abundance of caution, say, if anybody has a question about me, I'm out of here. You know, yeah. I, you know, if you don't think I can be biased, then you mean fair. give it to some <laughs> other judge. But, but instead, these right. judges yeah. are, are fighting tooth and nail to hang, to hang on to these cases with their claws in it. You know, nothing is more suspicious than the fact that they won't recuse themselves. They won't change venue. I mean, they're creating more suspicion, and rightfully so. So, you know, so, but all these, you know, people say, why don't you file this motion? Well, we do. And any normal judge, any honest judge would grant it, but not these judges. So, no, so they're, anyway, they're working so for the, they're, they're part of the deep state. Well, let me ask you one other question to the, just before we get this, we got just, we got a few minutes left here that, uh, and I may have thought of this before. I'm not sure, but if it was a real insurrection, wouldn't they have brought the means to break into the Capitol and get through those big doors? The fact that they had no equipment of any kind to get through those doors, they couldn't have known the doors would be open. Right. Well, they still, I mean, yeah, this is where the, I mean, the question is, was it an insurrection and did president Trump um, participate? And, and that's, you know, and this judge is obviously extremely biased and probably not very sharp. Um, And, you know, the, the Colorado jobs. So, um, but, but, the, but the, that's the real question. And the judge is probably too dumb and too biased to really focus on it. But, but, but those are the, those are the issues. Like, you know, cause they're, um, you know, and, and then for example, see, basically what they did is they took the video from the, uh, the select committee, which is done by a television producer. Right. And it's completely dishonest. And then they show, they show a video of the crowd at the ellipse and people, people um, saying outrageous things and they got it off parlor. And to my ear, and I say this because they've done this before, the voices saying the outrageous things are not at the ellipse. They're people watching on TV from home. Oh, interesting. Because the voice, the sounding of the voice is different. And I, and Trennis is trying to get a sound engineer to, to look at that um, because they did this with the Oath Keepers and the Zello call. I mean, hmm. it, they, they say, they're saying all these outrageous things like, you know, go in and do this. And, and, and then you find out if you listen to the whole like hour and a half that these people are, are all across the country, the team leaders in California. One guy on the, on the call says, you know, I'd love to go down there, but it would take me 12 hours by car. <laughs> and like, wait a minute. You're pre- they're presenting this as, as, as if this is what the demonstrators were saying in the, the halls of the Capitol. Right. And they know they're not. And I pointed it out when I was helping Kelly Meggs, and none of the other lawyers cared, and the judge doesn't care. It's like this, this is fraudulent evidence. This right. is a fabrication. So I think that's part of it, too, is that they're saying that, 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 the, uh, that the crowd at the, at the ellipse was saying all these you know, get pants and things like that, wherever. And, and they, nobody, the, nobody, I, I mean, I was at the ellipse. Nobody was talking like that. I mean, nobody was saying anything. They were just listening to Trump. So what, so, so when you started walking down to the Capitol, what, what was the current talk? Was it, as I suspect about supporting the electoral account? What, what were you guys talking about? Nobody, this, was, this, uh, nobody was talking. 
They were oh. looking at, I mean, people had, people had souvenir tables. They had, you know, people were, you know, handing out literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, the so most, it wasn't even the a most it wasn't even approaching. Well, they, they, they listened to Trump at the rally. ellipse. No, not right. no. They they listened to Trump at the ellipse, which mm-hmm. you couldn't hear him because mm-hmm. of oh, the, wow. the sound system. I mean, you could. They show they show recordings of him from the mic the microphones at on the podium, but in the right. crowd you couldn't understand what he was saying, and huh. and people listened and maybe they cheered you know or, or, or clapped, but that was nobody was talking about anything. They were just there to listen to Trump. And and then when they walked down the Pennsylvania, there were, you know, people were selling, you know, pins and medallions and, you know, and flags and all kinds of things. And people were just, you know, people were walking about like, you know, one mile, you know, um, half a mile an hour. Um, it was, you know, it was it was really slow. And, 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 and so we jumped off to the metro and went to by subway. To uh, Union Station because this is ridiculous. It was so crowded and slow, and um, <clears throat> but um, but the thing is, the, the most vocal people on in the ellipse in this whole thing were the Chinese, Chinese Americans supporting Trump. I mean, it's huge presence of Vietnamese and Chinese and everything like that. I remember all, seeing videos of that. We, we should talk to Xi Van Fleet, who was on the show a couple of Fridays ago. Uh, she's the one that wrote the book, uh, Surviving uh, uh, the Cultural Revolution and, uh, you know, warning from, you know, Mao's America. Uh, so she, she, she might have been there, too. That'd be interesting to find out. Well, anyway, before we run out of time, so the bottom line is, is that mm-hmm. with, somebody's, with somebody's help, um, uh, Trennis Evans filed a defamation lawsuit uh, in this case. And okay. so while they're trying to do that, there is now pending Trennis Evans' <clears throat> lawsuit that Crew and the lawyers have defamed him, uh, hopefully forcing <coughs> forcing um, the, uh, um, the, the judge on the disqualification to once again, just like the, your, your listener, um, uh, you know, pointed out about Harry Dunn and, and Lazarus is mm-hmm. that the evidence in the Colorado case is fabricated. I mean, there's several there's there's several things here where <clears throat> it's it's just false. And uh, and the other thing too is they took you know they they took segments of Trennis you know because Trennis Evans at like 4:22 is reading a whole bunch of things, including telling people to go home, telling people. That you know we should not have any violence, nothing like that, and right. um, <clears throat> so. Um, but they only they only clipped part of it. Now there is a rule against on completeness, which is you can't just clip part of a statement or a video. But I contend that the more I think about this, is that if you take if you take a, a snippet that that misrepresents the whole, you're fabricating evidence. It's not just a it's not just inadmissible evidence. It's a fraud. Yep. You know, to, to take part of what somebody said and leave out the rest that would change the meaning. That's fraudulent. Well, that and, happens all you know, the time with fraud. Trump speeches, with, uh, what was it, uh, the famous one, the George Zimmerman, you know, when they played the interview and they said, well, and they said, uh, and, and I guess the police, you know, said, what happened? They said, well, I, this guy, you know, I, I suspect him of a problem. He looks black, you know, that kind of stuff. And then you hear that uh, the, the full editing 
uh, the full comment was, well, can you describe him, please? Well, he looks black. So that's a whole different thing when the police has to describe a person and when he volunteers. Well, I went after him because he looks black. You know, it's, it's two totally same words, but you start editing and there, there are all kinds of cases. And when Trump, they edit out, you know, he said peacefully um, go down to the Capitol and support the, uh, support the election count. That was taken out. They take stuff out of Trump all the time. They're always selected and they're always getting caught. Right. See, that's the funny part. They're always getting caught doing this. You know, and so, yeah, it's absolutely fraud. So, so where, so where are we going with this? We got, uh, I mean, Dorothy's going to join us any minute now. So where, well, so now, so, that this, so, now that the videos are out, now that the evidence is coming out, these people perjured themselves, now what? Well, now that the, the parties, uh, both sides, have to submit their proposed findings of fact and law mm-hmm. um, to the judge to consider and for her to come up you know, with some bogus reason to disqualify Trump. Um, <laughs> They can't do that. Oh, the other thing we found out was that the, you know, when when um, Trennis Evans filed this lawsuit, Trump's lawyers freaked out. Like, what are you doing? And, and it became clear the more they talked about this, those, the Trump lawyers were totally unprepared. They, they, they knew nothing about what's going on. They, they didn't question the evidence. They're just everything I've been saying. I mean, they're they're just I mean, they. Are they, are, they deep state, are they deep state plant lawyers? Are they put there purposely to sabotage Trump? I don't know. But I okay. mean, they're, it's entirely possible that they're just very, very dumb. Um, because, I mean, the thing is, when, when, when the crew people, the anti-Trump people put on the, the evidence, right. a lawyer is supposed to say, hold on a second, let's check this out. No, not that. I mean, they just, they just swallow it hook, line, and sinker. So, so when they put on their presentation, a, a decent lawyer would take every step and say, well, let's check this. Let's check that. Let's check that. And, and so they're like, they finally got to the point like, well, we wish you had told us this weeks ago. Well, that was your job. You know, and, and you know, Trentus Evans even filed a lawsuit in, uh, you know, against the select committee. So it's not like he's been silent. And it's not like he's doing this just because of this disqualification thing. So if they didn't know that Trent, Trent, I mean, Trent Evans is pretty prominent in the January 6th community. So Mm -hmm. if they didn't know about it, he's been trying to get people to pay attention to this. And they're like, why didn't you tell us? I did. You, you know, moron. So, so he, uh, you know, so we're finding out that the the Trump lawyers are really, really awful. Um, as, as I suspected from afar. Well, there's one good one. There's but, that woman, and Dorothy's on the line, so I'll get to her in just a second, but there's that one woman who was on, I think, the New York case where that, that stupid judge with the reevaluation of his property, she's like, I'm not going to take this treatment from that judge. This judge is an idiot. This judge is ranting and raving. This judge is making horrible rulings. And she just totally lambasted him in front of the entire press. She's Elena, good. Elena Haba. Yeah. She's, she's the only... She and one or two others are the only lawyers that I think are, are worth a dime, you know, worth a damn. Okay. And Trump's, and Trump's over. She, and apparently we're learning that she is actually in charge overall. But oh, she well, needs to start firing. Well, yeah. I mean, it's good, but she needs to start firing a lot of lawyers. Um, and and uh, Trump, apparently Trump is getting, I think, he, he's reaching his limit. You know, of tolerance. He's like spitting. You know, he's no longer well, tolerating 
some of this. But Personnel is his biggest weakness, trusting the wrong people. Hey, let me let you go on that. Yeah. And uh, this is this is All fascinating. Right. Um, we're gonna and of course tomorrow. Don't forget everybody. Uh, Naomi Wolf is on, uh, and then the following hour, Alan Dershowitz. So I get to uh, I talk to I get to talk to Dersh. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun. There you go. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Okay. Sure. There we go. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Yeah, let's talk about sex. I've had enough politics. Hey, darling. Hi. Yeah, that was <laughs> intense. And, you know, when I'm listening to the tail end of your discussions, I start my brain starts coming up with all these comments and opinions that I have and um Okay, and I, I get out sometimes. of my vibe. Well, I get out that. of my vibe. I, I, yeah. So my life doesn't allow that at this time. But um, uh, that's okay then. Well, well maybe when it yeah. does sometime. But uh, that's why this is the reason I play the themes because that that theme, you know, even if it's my own voice, it allows me to to get into a completely different space before we talk. And so each yeah. theme does it. If, if you're a Johnson's theme, I'll play it for you sometime. Uh, it definitely gets you in a legal frame of mind. <laughs> it's, it's quite inspiring. Uh, no, okay. This, this, yeah, music. Just, music is very oh. uh, transformative. It does change the mood a hundred percent. I think that's very. That's nice yeah. that you do that to segue me. Well, in. thank you. That's the hardest part about the about the themes is is uh, getting the right music. Let me play what I did for Shelby. Uh, this will put you in a really great from uh, good mood. Have you ever heard her theme? She used to do the uh, the uh, cruise and travel report. Let me see if I her theme. Hang on, this is real quick. It's only take a second. Yeah, this this <laughs> this is what I made for Shelby. Aww, let's go. Yeah, man. Come with Shelby to faraway places, wonderful beaches, exotic food, meet new and fascinating people as action radio cruise and travel reporter Shelby Fernet takes you to where dreams become your reality and experiences become your best memories. Yeah, man. Here we go. Oh, I can taste the coconuts already. <laughs> Are they fun? Everybody gets one. Yeah, I, I love that. I definitely made me want to book a trip immediately to somewhere mm-hmm. warm and sunny. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, let's let's book a trip to um, let's book a trip to fetishes, kink, and paraphilia. <laughs> oh, what cruise line is that? I'm sure it, there's a cruise for that. We got we to gotta think of, uh, yeah, yeah. Cruise for, I don't know, <laughs> cruise for what you want. <laughs> we'll think of, it's what you want cruises. <laughs> and now welcome to what, you're not, what You Want Cruises with your uh, cruise directors, Greg and Dorothy. Today's fetish is, <laughs> you can just see the notes, you know, the, like the, the program, the, the, the newspaper they stick under your door every day. It's probably all done online now, actually. So, so what is that topic again? Let me hear those, those, those three so, magic words. You know, 
I, well, this, what I said was uh, kink, fetish, and paraphilia, and these are interesting terms, and I was just going to go into what this means and then discuss in an intimate, healthy relationship okay. how to determine if something that um, falls outside, quote, normal sexual behavior is something that you should explore with your partner, mm. something something that might be more of a trauma response, an addiction, or oh, not high vibr- or not yeah, high the f- vibrational. <clears throat> and the third word I've never heard before, paraphilia. That I've never heard that word. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, and 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 I'm just going to share. Sometimes I change my topics last minute depending on conversations I'm having, and it was interesting today. Um, Two different people, I was out from early morning, were discussing at two different times it came up uh, about how does a woman go into her feminine energy when she's home from a very masculine environment. Um, Mm. But you know what? I can tie these together. So it's interesting, this feminine masculine energy imbalance. So, you know, I did, I did, when I was a senior in high school, I was in this home economic class. And we had to choose a topic for discussion that had to do with family relationships. And I was a very rebellious teen and always very um, pushed back against rules and shaming. So I did my topic. You're on the right show. (laughs) You're on the right show now. (laughs) I think we're all that way. We're all a bunch of rebels here. It's evolved into a career. So I did my topic on fetishes. um, And my home economics teacher was was old. Yes. (laughs) Wow. She was older and she was pretty conservative and, and I had a, I had a lot of anger at that time. So that choice now, you know, I, I probably don't think that was a respectful choice, but I learned a lot. It was really interesting. And um, back no, that, that, really that is, that's the cool thing to do. I'm impressed to, to do a fetish topic in high school. You're, you're like the coolest chick. I mean, this is, so, this is amazing. I, I want to hear more. This is fascinating. This is something oh, I would Greg, do. Not, I not was about fetishes, angry. but I was angry mm-hmm. and rebellious. Oh, wow. I had I wore well, combat boots, all black. You know, really? I was I was sneaking out ninja. at night. Yes. <laughs> you, you snuck out at night? Did you have boyfriends? Oh my. Yeah, ish. Mm. We, you know, there's a group of okay, us. Okay, fine. It's, and, it's know, a podcast. And, you don't have to admit it now, but I'm just, you know, I'm just curious. I mean, I did, but you know, I wasn't mm. kind. I wasn't a good girlfriend. Okay, so now all that has changed. <laughs> That's another I'm show. So evolved. So evolved uh, and healthy, but huh. so, but back then there wasn't paraphilia. There wasn't really kink. It was, I mean, the word kinky exists, but existed, but the word kink wasn't this broad, broadly used term it is now. Um, huh. And fetishes, fetish just meant um, the necessary. Um, it was necessary to have a situation or object in place to become sexually aroused or have an orgasm. So the reason it's different than a sexual attraction or a kink is that you had to have that thing or that situation present to um, have a um, fulfilled sexual arousal experience. And, oh, I thought it was just something weird orgasm. that you did, like a, like a foot fetish. You just had an unusual attraction to feet. But it, it actually is sexual. You actually have to have, you know, feet somehow in your sex play to turn you on. I didn't know it was that deep. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was much more casual have... than that. Oh, that's interesting. No, I didn't know. You have to have to have, to have it present, and a okay. fetish disorder now now fetishist, fetishistic disorder is now um, a diagnosis, 
and um, really? and it means it's very disruptive. So, you know, hmm. let's say fracturism, which is now What's also that? paraphilia. I'll get in, I'll get into paraphilia. So fracturism was a type of fetish. It was only characterized as fetish then. Now it's considered a paraphilia. So a fetish can be a paraphilia, but not not all paraphilias are fetishes. But regarding fracturism, it's the um, compulsive need to rub up against somebody in a public place. Mm-hmm. There's a word for that? Yeah. I thought it was just called a subway. And, Sorry. Yeah, right? So, so that is a non-consensual act, right? But a foot, like a fetish or a fetish for ladies' stockings, you know, that, that doesn't have to be non-consensual. You can hold a stocking in your hand while you have an intimate encounter or while, you know, you self-pleasure or you masturbate. This and is that's so weird. Not this is, this mm-hmm. is a strange new world yeah. for me, okay? And I'm such a Boy Scout, but, you know, a little choir boy. Um, but this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, my understanding, and I think, you know, I'm pretty general about, you know, general knowledge. Uh, so I think most people would not know that a fetish went to that depth because we think of fetish as just something that's weird. You know, you know, bad boy, discipline, you know, here's your, here's your so you know, fetish, leather little whip thing, you know, and that's, that's what like we think a lot a fetish. Of, right. Like a lot of words in the English language, there's a specific meaning and there's a colloquialistic meaning, right? So there's, there's like the general, oh. oh, I've got a fetish. I got a fetish for, um, you know, uh, I have a fetish for ladies in lingerie. No, you like ladies in lingerie, but you don't have to have someone wearing, you know, lacy lingerie in order to orgasm. I mean, if you do have to have that, that falls under a fetish type thing because you can't have sexual arousal orgasm any other way. Like she has to be wearing, you know, a certain kind of lacy lingerie, you know, um, oh, fishnet so, stockings yeah. come to mind. Okay. All right. All right. So no fishnets, no okay. sex. It just doesn't happen. So that's kink, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it is. So, so fetish is the required of a situation or object required. Um, and that there's a wide range of wide range of that kink kink really just means, I mean, it's such a broad term, anything outside of the most normal vanilla sex. So anything outside of, you know, um, heteronormative, um, you know, missionary position or just the regularly known position, anything outside of the most normal, it falls into the category of kink. So just about anything. And it's but it's not really a diagnosis. Though? I mean, one person's mm-hmm, kink is absolutely. another person's, you know, Saturday night. I mean, this is this kink is completely, sub- <laughs> it's completely subjective. I mean, it's completely subjective, right? Yeah. We used to have, we used to have a joke yeah. in college, right? So this is, this, is, this is like marching band humor, okay? <laughs> one of my friends used to tell this joke. He says, well, because you know the difference between erotic and kinky? He says, I don't know, you know, because I was shy little college student. He says, well, uh, uh, a feather, that's erotic. The whole chicken, that's kinky. Don't ask. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but so, you get the point. That's fine. In other words, like like yeah. like a, like a peacock feather can be like really erotic, but if you bring the whole peacock in with you, you got a problem. <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> so a fetish? Yeah, no, I'm just I, no, that's funny. Yes, and so you get it. So I thought it was funny. So the, there's nothing Probably I'm the only wrong one with, laughing with, though, but okay, fine. If there's nothing wrong with having a fetish, I mean, kink kink can be anything, but it's just the important thing is. You know, if you have a little bit of kink desire that you discuss it with your partner and, and they feel good about it, too. The challenge kink, is that kink. it's a fetish. Mm-hmm. Aren't these dangerous or do they have to hurt or is there some kind of pain involved in these? Or is that more sadomasochism? I might be confusing my definitions. So 
fetish is a fetish disorder um, is a problem because when it's like interfering in your intimate life. So it's interfering in your daily okay. activities and intimate life. Like you cannot have it. Like you have a, a wonderful pers- partner in your life. You get along great. There's compatibility. Mm-hmm. There's chemistry. But in the bedroom, right. you have such a need for certain things. And, and the truth is that person frequently will feel like, well, I'm not enough. I mean, it, it, it's not. It doesn't really contribute to a healthy relationship unless the other person has the same one and agrees. And um, how would you know unless you talk? Now, about it. in popular, you know, we agree on popular mainstream medicine and popular psychology frequently leading people astray a little bit from true health and right. wellness. So I'm going to share my view, which isn't necessarily the popular view, that although uh, popular psychology and sexual health education and sex therapy. Um, is trying to be very inclusive. And even this term paraphilic, I haven't gotten to paraphilias yet, I'll get to it in a minute, but the term Mm -hmm. means for love, so paraphilia. So that is a newer term, and it's pretty inclusive. And I I bristle a little bit, and and again, my, my intuitive sense, which believes that, you know, all people deserve to be super healthy, happy, and have a high love vibrational frequency. Um, radiate through life, you know, um, have what they want and need, have what fills them, be able to have healthy, intimate relationships. So if that is the goal, um, I have a question mark whether, whether these should be treated as they are right now, which is just very broadly inclusive and in saying, you know, it's a disorder and, and it doesn't have to be considered an addiction. In fact, there's a lot of, dis- a lot of uh, controversy right now in the community of, is sex addiction even a thing? And I strongly believe it is, and I strongly believe a lot of these are addictions because they come from trauma, because they come from an empty whole space that will never be filled, if that makes sense. No pun intended. Well, Meaning you go down a little bit path, you, 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 you right. play with this and it's not enough. Then you take it here and it's not enough and it's not enough. And what we've seen over and over is that mm-hmm. – when there's an inability to separate a fantasy from reality and you take that fantasy, like a healthy couple, one or both partners will begin to play with certain ideas of things that fall into the category of kink usually. And the more they go in that direction, all of a sudden they've crossed the line and the, and the, and the, um, the sanctity in, of, the, of the intimate relationship has been violated. So one example is threesomes. It's, it can be a fantasy. It can be a fantasy. A man can fantasize about his wife kissing another woman. They can fantasize about the neighbors. What, what, what if, what if, because pornography and, and, you know, sexual freedom is so widely known now, it's hard not to ever have had thoughts of that, right? And that's totally normal. However, so many times they decide mm-hmm. to take it to reality and you can't True. go back from that. It's not at all what they thought it would be. One or both partners is deeply hurt or liked it so much they want to do it again and again and now they bring it to their intimate situation and they have to keep talking about it and bring it up and the other partner feels knows that i'm not enough like our intimate relationship you and i sharing this sacred act is no longer enough and if and it may never be and and so just that's part of the discussion too like when is a fantasy best remaining a fantasy and when do you ask yourself and your partner what's going on here is there something else going on where i'm trying to meet a need that isn't the responsibility of this intimate relationship to me to meet Mm -hmm. like there's a healing that needs to happen for me um due to something from the past 
or maybe a previous porn addiction where I'm now bringing that into this relationship and trying to meet a need that's unhealthy um, that's going to bring our sacred sexuality down. Does that make sense? It does, but I, we need to draw some lines here because we've got a lot of different words. Disorder, addiction, mm-hmm. fantasy, fetish, yep. paraphilia, which I've never heard of. So let's start to see if we can uh, sort of dig this all a bit. Now, fantasy yeah. to me is something that's perfectly safe as long as it stays in your own brain. You don't have to share mm-hmm. fantasies. Do, do, people, do people feel a, a compulsion? To, it's like, remember when Jimmy Carter said, I've lusted after other women in my heart. <laughs> you know, okay, fine, Jimmy, keep it to yeah. yourself. We don't care. You know, it's like if, if a couple are walking down the street and the guy sees some, like, totally hot babe and says, oh, it should be great to, you know, have on the beach, right? You know, does he share that with his wife of 50 years? No. <laughs> that would be stupid. But the whole point of fantasy it's, 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 is... Yeah. Keep them to mm-hmm. yourself. That's why they're fantasies. Why would you? And and, and the wife that sees, you know, uh, you know the the GQ model dude, you know George Clooney's walking down the street. Wow, she, I wouldn't mind being on a in a hammock with him and you know Curacao. You know, is she going to tell her husband? No. And why would you want to? I see. I think there's a protection of fantasies. The fantasies keep them to yourself. We all have them. Our brain goes where our brain goes. You know, especially you know sleeping or just daydreaming or it just goes where it goes. That's not a problem. I'm not. The problem I'm not sure is if you act that. on them. Ah, yeah, tell I'm me not why. sure. Okay. I'm not sure if I agree keeping it to yourself in every relationship. So you have two well, depends on the fantasy. people in the. Re- you have two unique people in the relationship, and I know of very healthy relationships where the wife can say, oh, my God, that new, that new bad boy at the grocery store. Wow. You know, mm. I mean, but or, or, if she or, has, or, I'm thinking about a, a sexual fantasy, which she, if she had a sexual fantasy about the bad boy in the grocery store, which she, which she said, look, or just say, hey, I had a fantasy about this guy. We were, you know, I don't know. You know, on a ship together, or, you know, like the Titanic, or, you know, uh, on the ballot, you know, that'd be funny. But if it's like a serious sexual fantasy, would, he, know, would she I say something? I think you know your partner. I think know mm-hmm. your partner. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of dirty talk in bed. And I'm a huge fan of being Ooh. very clear with the, par- with the partner, just right. so you know. So first of all, Greg, we talked about this before. Know yourself. You have to know your right. heart. You have to know yourself. You have to have done mm-hmm. your work. So if you have, mm-hmm. if you have kinky fantasies that, that are very... Um, encroaching in all of your masturbation and all of your know that every time you masturbate and orgasm that fantasy, it becomes deeply more ingrained in your sexual subconscious. So flavor it up, modify, be, be intentional even about your masturbation and your fantasies knowing, and I'm going to talk about vibration here, that sure. the goal, if the goal is the highest level intimate relationships with yourself, your own heart, your own body, you're mm-hmm. honoring your own body and a future divine partner that God intends us to have where the sex is mind-blowing and the intimacy and the service to others' energy in the community, like all those things, we have to be intentional. So in partnership, um, talking dirty is, is, is great. N- know your partner. You've already had the conversation, hey, you know, I love, I'm kind of verbal in bed. And when I get aroused, I like to kind of just start talking and sometimes crazy stuff comes out. I want you to know that one, I can totally control that. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. Two, stuff I say is kind of like crazy <laughs> orgasm brain. But it's that's, not that's real. sacred. Please that's like what you do. Please it's what you do when you stay in bed. Is, yeah. Okay. Just curious. Please don't, when you tell your partner, please don't, Please don't think I want to do these things outside of bed. I, I don't. Like, my, I'm a one-on-one woman. I can't imagine ever sharing you with someone else or, or being shared. I'm never going to want to do that. And that conversation could happen early on 
in this in intimacy. It doesn't have to wait. That these kind of conversations, in my in my opinion, mm-hmm. once you've established a sexual relationship, can happen kind of early on, like fantasies. Um, what has kind of has there been anything that's been destructive to your sexual relationships in the past? And what have you done to heal that? And how did you process that? Like, those are lovely conversations, right? See, I, but, um, now I, I make a mm-hmm. distinction, though, between involuntary fantasies and, like, intentional. So what I, what I was talking about was involuntary fantasies. Something inspires mm-hmm. something in your head. I think guys are wired to think they can sleep with every woman who's attractive who they pass by with. Does that mean they're going to? No. Does that mean they're going to tell their partner every time they, they see someone go, oh, that'd be interesting. You know, <laughs> that'd be an interesting experience. They don't do that. Yeah, but the, I think of these as involuntary. Well, I, now, I voluntary heard. fantasy, that's different. If you have the recurring fantasy and you want to act on it, that's an entirely different proposition. You mean compulsive, a compulsive, like a fetish. Yes. So oh, creative okay. fantasies, and the, and the more intelligent we are, usually if, if we're very intelligent and we're very sexual – the fantasies are going to come. They're going to come. And in a healthy relationship, the idea that you can whisper something crazy to your mm-hmm. partner in bed that you would never tell another soul, and you can tell and and he's like, oh, yeah, that, that's, you know, and he gets it. He gets that you're just in the moment talking and that it, you don't actually want to do that. Like that, there's a level of trust and intimacy there that's so beautiful and they can make sex really fun and playful. So that's different. Um, that's with your, that's with a, that you're mm-hmm. sharing a fantasy about your partner. So, so say you would say you, uh, you know, yeah, you want to like skydive naked and do it. it on the way down. Okay. So say so I got this great fantasy, you know, babe, I want to skydive naked and do it on the way down. Do you actually plan to skydive naked? Probably not. It's cold. It may not work. And it might be embarrassing as you leave out of the airplane. That's not the thing. It's fun to think about. Okay, so in that respect, I can I can see sharing, you know, some kind of crazy idea without someone or someone sharing a crazy idea with me because that's just fun to play with. Does it mean you want to do it? Not necessarily. But then again, you might if you're, you know, (laughs) I don't know, base jumping. I mean, who knows what people do? But the point is that if you're if a fantasy about the person you're with is entirely different about a fantasy, especially an involuntary fantasy about somebody you're not with when you're with somebody. I make those those are two totally different uh, discussions, I think. I would agree, and there's also the fantasy of the person you're with with someone else or more people present. And those are very common. Well, it might not be a person you know. It might just be this, you know, made-up mm. complete scene. And um, and again, there's Zelda. an actual art. There's an art to talking dirty, and that's a whole different conversation. But there's an art to having really safe, intimate, that? really dirty conversations in bed. Yeah. You teach women to talk there's dirty. So many oh, come on, tell I me. Do, but do you, I, I, could, I could definitely do that. Come on. Um, well, there's an art to it, and 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 again, it's about okay. knowing your partner also, and uh-huh. and having a trust relationship. But um, Dorothy's dirty talk. You know, oh, you gotta make a video. Dorothy's dirty talk. Come on, it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I have so many things I do. Um, I know. I, I, I want to hear I did all. an intensive teacher okay, training fine. this this weekend, and it, uh-huh. I mean this. The somatic healing for women is so beautiful, the somatic sexual healing, and this is just really where I want to focus. However, so paraphilia I want to cover briefly. So this is a relatively newer term in the industry, and, you know, para means paraphilia means love. How do you spell it so we can can write P-A-R-A-P-H-I-L-I-A. It's too close to pedophilia in Okay, well, let me cover it. Yeah. So it's typically defined as as intense interest in in 
um, non-human objects, uh, pain, or non-consensual stuff. And having a paraphilia, they're saying, doesn't mean you have a disorder, but there is a diagnosis called paraphilic disorder, and that is um, intense sexual desires, illegal behaviors, usually non, almost always non-consensual. And, um, That's illegal. And so the <laughs> challenge there? I have is that paraphilia means for love, and I feel there is a, a little bit of a push to be so inclusive and, and normalizing very damaging, predatory, evil things. Um, that I'm not, I'm not really a, a fan of this diagnostic code right now. Yeah. So can I, some of can the I break this wide open for you? This is, this is leftist psychobabble. This is, you know, whenever I hear inclusion, okay, so, so as a conservative, I'm thinking to myself, I don't have to include this, you know, and that, that uh, exactly. I don't need, I don't need to, to, to make it palatable for everybody. I don't have to explain you know, pedophilia, for example, whereas there are leftists who are saying, we have to be inclusive. We have to respect these people's needs, wants, and desires. That's a bunch of BS. No, you don't. It's illegal. You leave the kids alone. You know, and so for me as so a conservative, the, yeah. it's very easy. But I see this is a liberal trap. Well, so when you start not, talking about it in these terms. I don't think it's a political thing. Greg, I don't think it's a political mm. thing either. I think it's also, an in, for me and the feminine, it's an intuitive I'm connected with divine consciousness. My whole life is, to, is, is, is geared to serve others, be open-hearted, and, and take care of people, and also have an amazing, intimate relationship with myself. So intuitively, um, when I read about paraphilic disorders, I know that this is an absolute boundary. This is, okay. It's not okay, and the people need healing so they can have love and happiness and not injure others. So the paraphilic disorders... Um, Exhibitionist disorders, so we know that that means exposing genitals to strangers. Now, I know several teens who've had their who've had that happen to them uh, by by adult males, um, and uh, you know we've talked about how how do you handle that, and and so humor is the best way. However, it is traumatic to be to have someone suddenly expose themselves. You feel their energy. Their energy is predatory. And um, and greedy. What's well, the intention behind it? it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the act itself might be funny, you know, especially, you know, people look weird. But uh, as far as the intent, what was someone who's going to expose themselves, what they're really saying is, I want you right now. You know, I, I'm, I'm I want to shock know. you. I yep. want to shock you. I want, I want to, to control I you. Want to, I want to control you. I want to take your energy and, um, and own it. It's very interesting. It is very energetic and spiritual, and I can't help but put it in that perspective because that's what it is for I me. I don't say energetic, it's, you know, but okay. it's, it's an assault. To me, it's an assault. If you're doing that to somebody else, you know, that's an assault. Well, you're, 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 you're smashing them all, all right the normal now. boundaries of acceptable but behavior. But these are all, yeah. I'm okay. not going to get into why it's energetic, but this is my take on it. And, okay. and, and all of these have an, there's, everything is energy, Greg. All health all health, all interactions are energy. So mm-hmm. for me, I always feel about it in that term. And the reason I do is because what is the energy behind that action? I want to take that into the bedroom when we talk about kinks, fantasies, and fetishes. What is the okay. energy behind what you're introducing? To be able to oh. really re- read your own heart energy and your partner's is how you will discern whether how much to take a fantasy, how far to take it, is it serving your intimate, sacred relationship, or is it sucking you all into a darker energy space? That that's why this is important for me. Like because the yeah. goal is right, and so there's a lot well, of people who benefit in the sexual health community. Like all these things are okay, everything's inclusive, live a free, open life, do this. But in reality, 
all those messages are not contributing to the sacredness of, of two people having this beautiful divine um, bond and, and strength, yin, yang, masculine, feminine strength that creates great families, great communities, and, and great nations. I mean, that's a lot. But, but. You have to be able to make a decision and, uh, you know, and, and see the left can't, and just to get political again, just a little, for a little bit, but I see the left just not being able to distinguish right and wrong. Everything's okay. We have to be inclusive. And so we have to that's explain away messages. these things. Yeah, we that's have to have 16 psychology. genders, you know, to make sure everybody's included. There's a bunch of nonsense. You've got so, men and women, male and female. Yeah. So well, for yeah, me, it's so very again, simple. Yeah, I'm okay with the gender stuff. It doesn't bother me. So I know embryologically that, that things happen. And, and so we will not have identical humans coming out like stamps unless we want China to keep cloning us, right? And I won't get into that. I'm okay with yep. diversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there are rules the universe creates, and that's masculine, feminine energy, that's service to others' energy, that's sacred mm-hmm. sexuality. So for me, right. if you're falling into any of those categories, where your actions and behaviors and choices for yourself and for others are super high vibrational, giving, loving. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you're doing. And, and, and that yeah. is why it's important to be discerning. And so I want to go with the paraphilias just, just for educational purposes. You know, it is going to probably trigger you a little bit. Um, that are just warning. <laughs> um, they're trigger not trigger me. I, I don't get triggered. I just, I get inspired. I get uh, curious. I get all kinds of things. Triggered implies, uh, to me, that's like a weakness. You know, that something has affected okay, so me so much I can't control word. it. It's going to no, no. stimulate you <laughs> it, 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 it for a strong feeling. You me triggered. Yeah. It's just, no, you, no, you can I use know. the word. Trigger I, is a trigger not, word. I don't shy away from it. I just find it a fascinating, because I think that's, that's a word that's, that's uh, used to get a reaction. Trigger it's, is you, a trigger word, put, but it's a real yes. word. It's real. Yeah, but it puts people on the defensive automatically. And I think that's the well, intention that's, of using it. Not that you did we don't that have way, to, but that, yeah. We don't have so, you know, to. We don't have to choose that. So I'll, I'll say these are going to. No, but say triggered. You said it now. I mean, trigger. Well, trigger is such a. But it's a really good. We don't have to accept the common feeling behind it. It's it, it, it's appropriate. It's going to trigger a feeling of what the f. You know. So let me let me okay, go, go ahead with. Um, and so in that case, so, it's a good thing. I get triggered. Yeah, go for it. Yes, we should be. If we're not triggered, we're dead, right? Oh, like, okay. Triggered Nicely is what gives explained. us the, the feelings to, to take action, right? Like oh. I, I'm going to either take action to heal myself or to, um, or to, or to, or to help fix something. But anyway, so um, we talked about exhibitionist disorder, fraturistic, mm-hmm. which is the rubbing against a non-consenting person. Um, mm-hmm. Here we go, pedophilic disorder, is now a paraphilia, which again, paraphilia means for love. I have a problem with the no, choice it's a of crime. paraphilic disorder. <laughs> Wait a minute, yeah. it's a crime. <laughs> Messing with kids is a crime. You know, leave the kids alone. Leave so, the, you know, the trans agenda, leave the kids alone. You know, the political agenda, leave the kids alone. I just, I'm all in favor of leaving the kids. I, I raised a daughter. So you all of these the are non consensual. And so right. what's happening is they're grouping, they're grouping uh, the deepest crime against the soul of humanity into mm-hmm. something called paraphilic disorders. And I believe this begins to normalize it. So mm-hmm. when I said it, when I said fraturism, when I said fraturism, you immediately said on the subway, the reason you said that is because it's kind of common. And we've gotten to a place in society where if someone would have come up to me on the subway and quickly rub his wiener on my hip, I'd be like, what? But it wouldn't give that much of a reaction. No, I wasn't saying like, that. Ah. What I was saying is it's an environment no, no. so crowded, you, ha- you can't help but touch other people. That's what I was saying. But it, it happens a, all the not, time oh, to the does. point well, where if it happens to a woman, 
If it uh-huh. happens to a woman and she makes a big deal, most people honestly are going to be like, oh, well, it happens. Like, this, no, this I wasn't saying that at all. We, we, uh, I don't I, think I you were. That impression. No, I wasn't. I don't, I don't think you were. But however, I'm just saying that there are um, situations where we're so crowded that you can't help but bump into other people. Ever and then you a say, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Look, there's exactly. ways to protect your genitals from someone else's body. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. There are ways. Yep. You've seen yep. people give hugs where they cave their chest in so they don't press their body. I mean, there's, there's ways if you're conscious <laughs> about other people's bodies that you will. So, so fracturism is never an accident, and there'd never be, there would never be a mistake in your head if it happens to you, whether it was an accident or not. Now, our, our minds will try to trick us sometimes to protect us and say, maybe he didn't mean to. Maybe, you know. It's pretty evident when someone's doing that. Um, you can feel, again, it's an energy thing. And, and women mm-hmm. always talk themselves out of their intuition and energy because we've been told our whole lives that that's oh. not what matters. Facts why matter. Data matters. Why, well, why, why do women do that? We've because we've been shamed. We've been shamed and taught that, that our feelings aren't important. The only thing that matters is facts, data, and, you know, feelings just get in the way of progress and building and creating. Which well, see, is that's fascinating because guys think that, uh, guys think that the only feelings matter to women. <laughs> it's really interesting. There's, there's a perception difference right there. Well, so intuition, if someone is committing fraturism, um, mm-hmm. you, you're, and back to energy, a woman will feel that energy versus an accident. You'll feel it like that. There is okay. no mistaking. And so it's an energy steal. It's a predatory energy steal. And um, it has become kind of normalized. And so now we're putting pedophilia in with, um, you know, flashers and, um, and subway rubbers, which, which is a problem for me a little bit. Um, also sexual masochism disorder, they call it. That's a paraphilia. So um, having someone else suffer during sex, pa- painfully suffer <laughs> or um, be yeah. humiliated. Mm-hmm. Well, see, this is a huge topic is, is that line between pain and pleasure, as they say. If it hurts, it's painful. That's, that's, not, that's not erotic. That's not pleasurable. So, you know, I, I, I see a real distinction there. And this is a great place mm-hmm. to draw a line between, you know, and unless both people see what it really comes down to, is this acceptable to both people, both partners? Okay. And if it's not, yes. that's where bombs come in, yes. right? That's the key to okay. it all. So- yeah, I agree 100%. And so, I, so for me, something that's painful, so then a woman over here, she's like, that doesn't hurt at all. What are you talking about? So all bodies need different intensity of sensation. Some bodies need more intense sensations, whether, whether they're working out or, um, you know, in, in bed, life in general, right? They just, they, they're just sensually built differently, yeah? So something that feels a little painful for me, but also has pleasure. I mean, think about the genitals. There's so many nerves there. And um, there is a lot of potential for something being pleasurable and bordering on painful. Like one woman's vagina might feel a little pain at certain penetration where the other woman's vagina is like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, more. And and so, yes, like you said, it's an individual. It's a conversation. it's, It's an energy does my body want to be penetrated? I might, I might, my brain might say, yes, I want it. My hormones might be flowing, but there's something intuitively and energetic in my body saying, no, this, this masculine energy should not be penetrating me. He is not safe. And the vagina will respond. So there's so much of that. But Well, guys do that too. Um, well, they'll, they'll never admit it, but, uh, you know, your body has a, a male body has a subconscious too. And it, uh, and this is what they say, well, you've got ED. No, I really just, my body really yes. doesn't want to live with your body. You know, and That's so, so right. there's, there's a natural, you know, and you can be a perfectly healthy guy. And if you're with the wrong woman, your body will tell you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, guys won't admit it. I will. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, and there's a, there's a subconscious thing too. Or so so guys, so the guys, there's your warning. Yeah. What's that? What's that? The guys should know. Or if you didn't, that it's let's not, say you didn't. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, no I, you're I said right. That, that, yeah. Well, thank you. You know, but uh, guys, this is I like been... talking about this stuff because guys, I like to talk about things that most guys won't talk about. But the truth is that, uh, and they'll get all ashamed. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, this happened. This, you know, and what, but, the, but what the, if they're really honest, they say, you know, I really didn't want to sleep with this woman anyway. I'm kind of glad that you know my body didn't work. <laughs> you know, they'll never admit that. Or never. Or Greg. But I bet you that happens. Greg, I bet you it happens a lot. Or there was a, yeah. che- or they were cheated on and they didn't do their healing work, so their body mm. isn't trusting. Their, their body is resentment yep. towards the feminine, still some anger towards the feminine, um, mm-hmm. now sees the vagina as, you know, and again, this is all subconscious, sees the vagina as like an angry place, an untrustworthy place, hasn't done their healing work. And so I would say that, I'd say the whole woman. I, I, would, I don't think guys, well, maybe some guys mm-hmm. do, I don't know, but I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, generalize if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's just more, yeah, there's definitely a, a distrust that would happen. Uh, I would think, mm-hmm. but uh, that's that's a yeah. whole ED topic for guys of uh, subconscious. Uh, and this is this I don't even know if there's a branch of of psychology in this, but there should be uh, of guys. You know, how much um, well, of ED is is your own body saying, "Hey, eh, your remember, body decided for you. You ain't doing this." Anyway, let's remember who sponsors most of the sexual health programs, and you know oh, where a lot of there's so much so there's so much money coming from. Yeah. you know, hormone replacement and Viagra type things right. that um, to truly, so we're on our own. As and the guy that says no is shamed. There's a shaming for the guy that says no. We're, um, we're on our own as far as researchers that think outside the box and, and, okay. and truly want healing, healing versus pharmacodependence, right? So, mm-hmm. so is there a branch of research that talks about, I mean, it's, it's going to be on the, on the under radar. So you look up ED and then, you know, you'll find all kinds of other things, but um mm-hmm. Okay, so back to the paraphilia, so sadomasochism, so pain for someone else or pain for myself. Um, transvestic disorder, so that's that? an interesting one. Yeah, cross-dressing. You're full of new words arousal. today. I feel so, like that's such a sheltered trans- life. Let's imagine, Go ahead. Let's imagine that, um, and this is actually really common, so imagine that in a you know, cisgender, heteronormative marriage, um, you know, he he does have a little thing where he wants to wear his wife's panties sometimes, and, and this is so common. Um, really? That he oh, so I mean, would they even common. fit? <laughs> they fit around the guy well, parts? I mean, I'm sorry, I just I'm I'm trying to think of logistics of this. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of reasons stuff like that comes up, and we can talk about puberty, and we can talk about secrecy, and um, you know, not having a there's all kinds of masculine feminine energy and messages that come in. And so in puberty, a lot of these things start, start developing. Um, But so. And we keep women's underwear as trophies in the fraternity, but we didn't, we didn't wear them. (laughs) I mean, come on. So anyway, if you're, if you're, if you're taking someone else's undergarments without their permission, because it turns you on, to have their undergarments, or if you're well, panty raids, it wasn't that a tradition? The panty raids back in the 50s, 60s, didn't all the fraternities do that? They'd raid the sororities and steal their underwear. That was like a fun thing. I don't. But it wasn't a. Yeah. You ever heard of that? Um, oh, okay. No, Before I'm not time. sure that falls. Yeah, I'm not sure that falls under transvestic. Um, no, it doesn't. No, it was just funny. Disorder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so transvestic disorder is is the need the the it's it's, it's you have to cross dress to um, where does that come from you have to cross dress for sexual arousal. Um, so in other words, if you're a guy, you have to be like a woman. If you're a woman, you have to be like a, what's the woman's equivalent? What do women wear? 
to feel like guys. I, this isn't really common Overalls? for. I don't know what. This isn't really common for 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 men for women. It's much more common for men. Huh. Um, That's interesting. It's like three percent of men, and only like they're guessing point four percent of women. Um, but that's, yeah. but not necessarily diagnosable, just signs, signs of it. So again, well, more drag just, queens are guys, right? Mm-hmm. You don't see women dressing up as men as much. Right. Because women okay. are allowed to, so you don't even know, you don't even notice it. <laughs> yeah. They wear ties. Again, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were look, ties if men had more permission, a, yeah. if men right. in our culture had more permission to hold hands, to embrace, to wear whatever the hell they want. Um, I honestly think a lot of this stuff would be, it's, it's being shamed and being told that you can't because it makes so many people want to do things, right? Well, that's um, interesting. Yeah, the rebellion complex. Well, we, we've talked about this before, that, that men are so much more restricted. You know, like I say, you go from the, the football uniform to the army uniform to the business uniform. You know, the guys are in uniforms. So the same haircut. <laughs> they all look the same. They all wear shirts that are too tight. They all cut off their circulation and they behave like idiots. You know, because they, 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 men are judged by how much they conform, whereas women are judged by how much they're individual. And we need to do something about the guys to free them up. I think you're absolutely right there. Okay. Being an individual yeah. myself. I mean, men, you know. men need a lot more attention and love, and, and our whole culture is just so suffering right now. But oh, so reprogramming. The, the I would say. I to... Destroying that. It's more than the attention and love. It's reprogramming away from the, uh, well, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, ag- agreed. So the the last one, uh, the last paraphilia I just wanted to touch on is called voyeuristic disorder, and that's hmm. the peeping tom, the traditional peeping tom. And again, it's non-consensual, so this is why it's right. so damaging. I'm not 100% clear why transvestic disorder is considered a paraphilia, because paraphilic disorders are usually non-consensual, but I believe mm-hmm. it's because of the, of, the, uh, of the tendency for the person in when it becomes severe to they're taking other people's undergarments. So it's non-consensual. It feels like a violation. So, um, boy, I can go buy them. Do, do guys go like buy women's underwear and say, Oh, you know, this is for my sweetie and it's really for them. <laughs> well, I don't know. Of course. Of they course. Do, that. do you have oh, okay. an extra, extra large? Yeah. Um, <laughs> will this fit around men parts? <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't resist. I'm asking for a friend. Um, <laughs> that's the other good line. To, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my friend needs some. And uh, I'm not judging it. You know, my take on this is I'm okay with all of it. Like, mm-hmm. um, I can't. Dress I mean, my Halloween. kids would. Yeah. I don't want to. You know, like I remember my kids being little. You know, I'm pretty open, and um, you know, I'm. Remember I'm this kind is a podcast. We don't want to talk about really, the kids. I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of like the Dutch, yeah. but I remember them picking up my bra and being like, "Look, I'm mommy," and like putting it over their shoulders and like, "Ah ha ha," like dancing around. Like, I remember that. I remember thinking, is this for that kind well, of, I mean, I overanalyze things. I, fine, I think all children, right? Like, look at me and making their brother laugh and, you know. Um, oh, what, like, oh, what, what boy wouldn't pick up you know, a bra but, and go, what's this? I mean, that's just funny. Well, well they know it is because they've seen me in it. Like, I'm not that oh. private. But, um, but oh. the idea when they're young of like, look at me, look at me, and then putting on my shoes. I'm telling you, if I have a mm-hmm. pair of giant high heels in the room, Mm-hmm. And one of them comes in to talk to me. I mean, not my oldest, probably more my youngest, because he's still young enough. He doesn't care. But, um, you know, without even thinking, he'll, like, slip his feet into it and start walking around the room. And he's not experiencing a transvestic disorder. He sees no, a it's giant funny. pair of shoes. Yeah, it's like silk exactly. for him. Like, there's nothing in yeah. his life like that. And he's like, can I walk in these? Why would you want to? This is yeah, weird. Exactly. That's, I can't that's believe That's my question. And he's is balancing, and he's like, 
seeing if yeah. he can do it. And I'm like, please don't ruin those shoes. Um, but that's not a transgenic <laughs> disorder. But it, let's no. say I were to say, oh, boys don't do that. Take those off. Oh, that's not for boys. Take that off. I have now created not yeah. only a shame, a bit of a shame, but also a forbidden taboo. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and now, look, my shoes are beautiful. So now he sees a beautiful pair of things that are, that are one of mommy's objects. And so maybe desire to be close to mommy is going to slip. I mean, who knows what subconscious, you know, mommy wears these. I'm going to slip my feet into them. They're still warm from my mommy. Like, it's not about him trying to be a woman. It's something else entirely. But now I've tr- changed it into a shaming, forbidden. And I believe this is where some of this stuff comes from on a lighter or deeper level, some kind mm. of little or big trauma of disconnection, shaming, and, and forbiddenness. Um, and that's a whole other conversation. But this well, is why in intimate relationship, when there's a kink or a fantasy or a compulsion uh-huh. to bring something in from the outside world right. um, that falls outside the vanilla sex, that it's a conversation and that you look at your heart and you look at your past, and you look at your healing and you say, is this something that contributes to the wellness of my sexual life and feels playful, light, and fun? Or is it something that feels a little darker, feels a little needy, feels like it's filling a hole? Well, you can be naughty without being... And it's not about us anymore. It's not about us. It's about me meeting a need that he can't fulfill and bring it into our... Like, there's just a lot of that that needs to be processed through. Go ahead. Interesting. Well, I was just saying, too, when you're talking about the kids, about the parents that say you can't wear, you know, the, the boys can't wear the, 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 you know, mom stuff. On the other hand, there's, there's the opposite going on today. You have to, to be inclusive. You have to wear this because you might be a girl, even though you look like a boy. Well, they've made it cool. You know? Yeah, they've made it cool. Uh, and so, see, that's that's kind of weird, too. It's like kind that's of gross. Just as bad. In, some, in some metropolitan areas, it's actually become, and I see this with some of my friends' kids, it's actually they're struggling with the fact that it's cool. Um, and you know what? Honestly, if, if it's cool and it's a trend, like, so for me and my group, the combat boots with black nail polish was cool for a while, and, and I shaved my head. Did I take that into my adult life? No. I met that need, and the need was gone. Do you have pictures? So thankful. Do you have pictures? Do you remember um, those days? Probably somewhere. Okay. Yeah. But, Just curious. But what I'm, Whether you toss those out or not. Yeah. It, it, it was daring and forbidden, so it met, mm-hmm. it met, I met the need to push back. And then that need was gone, right? So no, you're still, you still almost, need to push back, yeah. but you do it mentally. You don't have to do it physically. You don't have to show. In other words, you don't have to do it for other people. You would rebel wearing, you know, black and combat boots to to rebel, so other people would see your rebellion. Now you can just do it within yourself. That's that's the mature version of it, I think. What well, the, think? the point I'm making is, if there's a desire to play and to experiment. Um, in a, in a healthy way and we, we don't shut it off or forbid it and and we embrace it. Um, I, I feel like it makes the need go away. So, so I think this, you know, if, if we're letting, if we're, if we're given permission for boys to play in all the gender clothing, I don't think, I think that's going to alchemize to, um, the permission that, and then now to come back to who you really are instead of, I think it will, I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing, you know. Um, well, if it's playful and it's experimental and a kid wants to try on different clothes, that's just funny or, or interesting. You know, it, it's the same thing. It's like I was thinking of uh, guns. You know, I taught my kid how to shoot. 
Uh, and in fact, I showed the guns enough time. She was bored with them. So there's no interest on her part whatsoever. She was never, it was never forbidden. In fact, it was just the opposite. You know, I purposely bored her with them. So <laughs> she'd never have to, an interest to do it, you know, without me around. Um, but I think that's the same thing with guns. If it's forbidden, guys, you know, I, it's forbidden for me. Oh my God, you guns are terrible. Guns are horrible. So of course I want to go out and learn how to shoot. Right. And eventually did. Um, so it's, there's, there's a balance between the, this, this forbidden versus permission. And so permission makes sense, especially if it's casual, uh, you know, but it's some, but you can go overboard one way or the other. You can forbid too much or you can, you know, I guess, uh, you know, you know, permit too much. It's just, it's kind of weird. There's always a balance in everything. It's like fetishes. If, is it a fetish if both people want to do it, for example? Yes. A fetish is when you must have something present in order okay. to have sexual arousal. Like, so it doesn't matter. I could have a whole support group full of, you know, silk stocking fetish or foot fetish. Okay. And it doesn't mean it's not a fetish anymore. It just means there's more people hmm. that have the same requirement. Yeah. Requirement. The reason a fetish... So, so... So the what's reason the a fetish the can be unhealthy is because it's a requirement. You know what I mean? It's mm. not like your clitoris or your penis. It's something outside of your body and their body that is required to have okay. sexual arousal, right? So the person that has to accommodate the fetish, what, is there a word for them, an uh, enabler kind of thing? Or what, what is, it, what is this, the person that is, is, finds that they, they feel the need to accommodate the fetish? What, that, that's going to be a problem, too. Well, you have a choice whether you accommodate a fetish or not, and that ah, can be the that okay. could be the difference between a relationship working and a relationship not working. So two partners, yeah, right? Sense. The one that the one that isn't going to heal their fetish, which in mm-hmm. my opinion does come from trauma and addiction. It's all it all goes back to addiction, which is trying to meet a need that's a spiritual, emotional, old old need that wasn't healed, a trauma that wasn't healed. And again, this is controversial. A lot of people will not agree with this. This is my take, um, that there's a healing that needs to take place because we were intended to have wonderful, juicy, functioning, healthy, sexual bodies and be able to enter a relationship. Juicy? Yeah. Juicy, okay, meaning lubricated, meaning fluid. <laughs> no, meaning I know what you mean. I just, thought, I just, yeah. I just thought it was choice of words. No, it's actually very appropriate, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're meant to have... Mm-hmm beautiful, working, amazing sexual bodies that Uh literally you can meet in the hallway on your way out the door for work and have a quickie. You don't need to go rummage through the door for the special object that's, you know, um, you know, or have your lover talk about the object the entire time you're with her or him. So we're meant to just meet and, and, and have the body and the spirit and the soul of the other person be enough so if that's what you want, then healing the fetish is important. And you said entering a Makes relationship. Sense. Well, there has to be an agreement. I love mm-hmm. you so much that whether you never heal this fetish or not, I will continue to have a sexual relationship with you and have intimacy. And we will just make sure that that object or, or, or we yeah. can have that every cubes. single time we have, <laughs> yeah, every six. single time we have sex <laughs> for the rest of our lives, we're going to make sure that your fetish needs are met. And, and that might be something you enter and agree on. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as... What do they change? I mean, do, mm. If your circumstance of life change or, or as you get older, do, do, do fetishes, do they change or, or become less important? Or, is it, in a, or maybe if the relationship becomes more important, maybe the fetish becomes less important. Is there an evolution to this process mm. at all? I love that question. Um, I actually don't know. What fetishes okay. normally do as we age, all I know is like how sexuality changes um, as we age. Uh-huh. But that's, I love that question. Do, norm, do oh, people good. with fetishes 
does it soften or shift as we get older? I imagine it does. Well, it's not just older, but as a relationship changes, as you get more comfortable in a relationship, as you actually get maybe somebody's first real intimate partner. A lot mm-hmm. of people have sex with people that aren't, they're not intimate with. And, and maybe a lot of this comes from not being intimate, that this, this is their trigger in that sense of the word, that if they get with someone they actually trust and, and love and, and, and enjoy, that maybe, the, maybe these things kind of you know, fade away into the background, just kind of disappear without people knowing it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking the question. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Well, I know another co- very mm-hmm. controversial thing right now is um, – I don't know if it's right now, but a, a controversial um, topic is should should you even try to cure fetishes? And some people in the psychological community get very upset yes. at the idea. It bothers you at the idea yes. of hold on at the idea <laughs> yeah. of trying to eliminate fetishes in therapy. And they say that's like reparative therapy. That's like trying to cure gay people. It's so um, phobic oh, and um, but this is like the And I disagree because if yeah. if it bothers you and you want mm-hmm. to be healed and you feel like it's not something that's contributing to your life in a positive way, um, why why not? And and there have been therapeutic approaches that make a cognitive negative association with a fetish gently over time and introduce replacement desire. Um, mm. And they have been some of them have been very successful with that. Uh, but those clinicians are very are, are tend to be demonized. Um, so it's, it's kind of yeah, interesting. But, but a, I, I feel like if the, uh, mm-hmm. well, I had a if the individual it, comes it, to you and says, "Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. like to try to cure this. Let's do whatever we can do," and a therapist mm-hmm. takes the known the known skills and tools that that are used to help heal people from other things and applies it to fetishes, I don't see why that um, to me that doesn't seem damaging. Yeah, not at all. Uh, especially people, if, they, if that's their desire, that they say, "Look, I do this weird thing with I don't know chicken eggs." <laughs> this is the first thing that came to mind. You know, yeah, I mean, really, you know, let's let's work on that. Let's talk about that. Let's see where that came from. Did you grow up on a farm? You know, I mean, I mean, you, you never know where it's, that conversation is going to go. But what I think is happening when I when I hear this, it, it, it's it's something that kind of bounces in my head all the time. That what I call leftist psychobabble. That is where. And I, got a, I actually have a definition popping into my head. That is where you force yourself to accept something you know is wrong. You, under normal circumstances, would make a decision. That's wrong. That's wrong for me. Eh, it's probably wrong for my partner, too, but, you know, it's their life. But it's wrong for me. But I have to accept it because I want to be inclusive. I don't want to be judgmental. I have to accept everything everybody does. And so this is where I see damaging the leftist psychobabble. And I bet you run into this in, in your own uh, work with women that they find themselves, there's like a, a, an internal subconscious rejection of this outside pressure to force them to accept something that they know is wrong. It takes away their power of judgment, their power of decision, their power of discrimination, their power of everything. They, it doesn't allow them to make decisions they would normally make, which would make their life much easier. That's how I see it. Right. What do you think? I agree 100% that if someone, someone senses that a behavior, a thought pattern an addiction, a habit isn't contributing to their highest good and they'd like to explore mm-hmm. growth and putting that behind them, then an excellent therapist will, will meet their need to want to do that. Right. Um, and then if I say, you know but what, an excellent I love therapist my fetish. My wife doesn't like it. I love it. I don't want to give it up. Uh, and you work with my wife and make her be okay with it. 
and that's Ooh. what the couple agrees they want to do, then go ahead. Mm. You know, that's another, that's a yeah. whole another a whole approach. And that approach is more popular in the mainstream community. Um, make really? the one that is uncomfortable with the sexual desire and sexual um, inclination, make the one uncomfortable comfortable with it. Does it sound like familiar? <laughs> no, that's left to psych about forcing you to make a decision <laughs> against your will. So as not to feel guilty or not politically correct or not inclusive. That's wrong. See, why don't Isn't we talk about Yeah, but it, it, this, mm-hmm. this, is, this is how, this is why it's so good for us to talk because you have a more liberal point of view. You talk to the folks that have this, this, uh, this philosophy and my philosophy being, you know, real straight, basic, blunt, you know, dude, language, you know, my masculine energy, which comes right back from the founding fathers, you know, says, look, this is wrong. I'm not going to force myself to make a decision that's wrong. I'm not going to accept the political philosophy that's wrong. I'm not going to accept a social philosophy that's wrong. I'm not going to accept a sexual practice that's wrong for me simply because I have the power of my own judgment as an individual. So, the, so what, you're, you, what you're really doing is you're dividing psychology, and this, here's a whole other topic for a show, of groupthink versus individual thing. So the individual would say, no, I'm not going to accept that for me. But if they're in groupthink, they think, well, I have to accept that because the group approves of it. Therefore, there's something wrong with me, so I have to force myself to accept something that intrinsically, subconsciously, I know is wrong. And that is where the conflict comes in. And that's why conservatives are happier. I had to throw that last bit in. <laughs> but don't you think people are happier when they have the, the power of their own judgment without the guilt or, or groupthink? Yes. I think people are, are happiest when they have compassion and understanding but know their own boundaries and hold themselves and others to the highest standards and, mm-hmm. and ask others to heal if they're going to be in relationship with you. And do your own healing work. So whatever that means. And if your behavior causes, if your behavior seems like it's, and I'm just going to say lower energy service to self, a little selfish, mm-hmm. um, meeting an unhealed need, I'm going to ask you not, not to bring that to me to, to do that work yourself. And I, and I but promise that's a you decision. I'll do the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like if a deal breaker would be like for me, another person has to bring another person. That's a deal breaker. That's not going to happen. Okay, I'm a one-on-one person like you are. It's, 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 that's that's just how I look at it. I have, you know I have my time and attention goes to one person. You know I don't want the extra. So, but if that's a requirement of the other person, that's a deal breaker. Now, under leftist psychobabble, I have to say, you know what? I really should try that. I really should go with with, with uh, my person bringing another person. I really should learn to accept that there's something wrong with me. That's leftist psychobabble. Whereas you know an individual would say, you know what? Hey, listen, it's, it's great that you want to do that. That's fine. That works for you. It doesn't work for me. Let's be friends. <laughs> you know, that's how I'd handle it. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. No, yeah. I, no okay. I, I mean, I, I agree that, that we don't have to, um, we don't have to take on darker energy, negative um, mm-hmm. Vibrational situations or or behaviors just to be inclusive, and that that doesn't mean loving. That's actually not not loving. That's called enabling. No, it's the opposite. It's yeah, like it's enabling. It's it's yeah. easier for me to just let whatever happened happen and say it's okay than it is for me to create healthy boundaries for myself and mm-hmm. others. Right? That, Even though you'd be happier with the boundaries. Self-esteem, yeah. morals, ethics. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I think our time is up, but this has been oh, really fascinating. 
um, interesting, lovely discussion. Mm-hmm. And I hope I hope it was organized enough that that listeners oh, no, it was fine. away with something um, valuable. And I always take you away mm-hmm. from your organization because I represent disorder. I just do. Uh, <laughs> you're very organized, and I'm not. So I, I'm I, I I'm like the I anti-disorder. Am. I'm I'm the yang to your yin. You're very organized and very prepared, and and, and I just come in and totally you know mess everything up. But that's kind of what I do here. Uh, there's no other hour on Action Radio like you and me when we discuss these topics. Nothing even comes close. There's a lot of political. There's a lot of illegal. There's a lot of other things, but nothing compares to this hour. That's why I love having you on. So so keep doing what you're doing, and let's keep talking. I love it. Sounds great. So I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. And, Contact um, information? I'm, uh, my email is Dorothy at YoniYoon.com, and my website is Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N.com. I teach sensual somatic healing in the form of exotic dance for women with body shame or who just want to reignite their um, sexual feminine fire. And uh, it's trauma-informed. We meet in groups or on Zoom, and it's super transformative and fun. And we guys love women that are on sexual fire. I just want you to know that. <laughs> so keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Because you make the guys happy Thank too. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, everyone wins. Thank you, Dorothy. Yeah. Have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye. Oh, I, I can't miss now. <laughs> I've been thinking of this conversation for days. <laughs> you take care, Dorothy. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Now I'm going to play a very masculine commercial. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health 
through better knowledge and advocacy. And Citizen Legislation Day is coming up, so this should help inspire you. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. <laughs> 